Welcome to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Join us during the summer for the old-time radio children's shows. Now relax, sit back, and enjoy this week's episode. Super Stick Adhesive. Remember, only Johnson & Johnson makes Band-Aid brand. Cloud of dust and a hearty high silver, the Lone Ranger. men gathered around frontier campfires, stories were told of the masked rider of the plains. Astride his great horse, Silver, he fought crime through the length and breadth of seven states. His efforts in the cause of justice were tireless, and although history does not record his deeds, he will always be remembered as the man who did most to bring law and order to the West. Now return with us once more to those thrilling days when the West was young and adventure was found at the end of every trail. The Lone Ranger rides again. Trouble threatened in the vicinity of Big Bend, 
when an eastern company, basing its claim on an old land grant, attempted to take over the homes and property of settlers in the disputed territory. As our first scene opens, we see the masked man and his faithful Indian companion, Tonto, approaching town on their way to the stagecoach station. We should be in town by the time the stage gets in from Kenwood, Tonto. Uh, I'm hoping the government representative will be on it. In plenty late. It was a good idea for the government to decide the argument between the settlers and the Eastern Company. But if they don't learn the decision soon, the settlers may sell out to Randolph. Who, Randolph? He's the agent of the syndicate, Tonto. He's shrewd and not too honest. Oh. He's been trying to buy out the settlers for a tenth of what their property is worth. Mm, that plenty bad thing. He has most of the men convinced the government will decide against them. They're becoming discouraged and willing to sell for what they can get. Uh-huh. Amos Drake is the leader of the landowners. If it weren't for him, most of the land would have been sold to the syndicate already. Why, Tonner from East, not come. I don't know what's delaying him. Word was received by Pony Express that the decision had been made, and a representative was being sent here to announce it. Why then do that? The government doesn't want the decision known until their man arrives. Mm, that's strange. No, whichever way the decision goes, there's apt to be trouble. It's wise to have a man from Washington here with authority to deal with it. Oh, there's the stagecoach station now, Tonto. Um, there are plenty feller there. Everybody's hoping that the government man will come on today's stage. Ooh, that big feller wear black coat. That's Philip Randolph, the syndicate's man. And Amos Drake is standing beside him. Oh. We'll stay behind the station here, Tonto. And not see us here. Go, Silver. Oh, oh, white feller. Oh. <coughs> I want to watch Randolph. I doubt that he'll be willing to settle the argument honestly. Uh, right. There comes the stage now. We'll soon know if the man from Washington is on it. There comes the stage. We'll soon be sure getting speed out of their horses. Maybe bringing that color to the east. Here we're all hoping for it. Hold on, Bertie. Hold on, You got no passengers today, Sam? Nearly one, Amos. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you'll have to wait a while longer, Amos. Go ahead and laugh, Ted. Wretch you, Randolph. This just gives you that much more time to try to get folks to sell out for nothing. <laughs> I won't argue with you. There's John Perry, manager of the stage line. Maybe he's got some word what's causing the delay. Howdy, Amos. Howdy, John. I was just wondering if... See, what's making you look so downright sour? Well, Amos, I just learned something today that sort of upset me. It, it ain't about that fella from Washington, is it? Nope, it's Sam. Huh? What's the matter with Sam? Him and me have been friends since uh, he first took to driving the stage for you. I reckon you'll find out soon enough. Sam, climb down over that stage. I want to talk to you. Sure thing, Mr. Perry. Uh, what's on your mind? I'm going to ask you a kind of funny question, Sam. Yeah? Just tell me where the baggage scales are sitting. But what's Go the... on, tell me. <laughs> Shucks, they're right over there by the door like they always is. Well, they ain't. They was moved around back today. Even lizards, Sam. Are you plumb blind? Why, That's just it, Amos. Sam is blind. Can't be. Mr. Perry's right, Amos. I... I reckon there ain't no use me pretending anymore. Well, uh, I'll be doggone. I've been wondering why Sam's wife took to walking down here to meet him lately. Well, I never know till Joe Lieber told me today. It was because Sam can't see no more. It was Joe that told you, Mr. Perry? Uh-huh. That doggone... Sam, how in Tunky could you fool us like this? Well, I've been losing my sight for near a year, Amos. But it ain't been but for the last week or so that I couldn't see at all. But how could you drive the horses? Shucks. 
Blackie and Nick and the rest of them don't need nobody to drive them. They savvy just as much about their job as I do. But uh, I, I, I drove them same horses for years. Why, we savvy each other just like they was humans almost. Ain't that right, Blackie, old fellow, huh? <laughs> you see? I'm sorry, Sam. You've been a good man. But I'll have to let you go. I I knew it'd have to come, Mr. Perry. It'll take me a day or two to figure what you got coming. Then you can drop back here and I'll pay you off. But, Mr. Perry, ain't there something I can do around the station or the horses? Why, driving the stage has been my whole life. I I wouldn't want to live away from the business. I'm sorry. Who, uh, who's taking my place? I reckon I'll give Joe Libra a chance at it. That crook? Now, that ain't no way to talk. But I... Besides, it was Mr. Randolph that gave him a recommend. Randolph? He's the worst crook in these parts. You shouldn't feel that way, Amos, just because he's working for the syndicate. <laughs> Sam, you can help unhitch the horses right now. But tomorrow, Joe will be driving the stage. All right, Mr. Perry. Hold on, Sam. Yeah? I've been wondering what could have happened to that government fella. You don't figure he could have got sick or something and is laying up in Kenwood, do you? Ain't heard nothing like that. Well, I'll be walking back uptown then, I guess. So long. Bye, Amos. All right, fellas. Let me through. I've got to see to the horses. Get back, by the way. Fellow, I wonder if Amos could be right. Steady, Silver. What? What that? It's possible that the man from Washington is ill. That would explain his delay. Oh, it's worth investigating. Come on, Toto. What we do? We're riding to Kenwood to see what we can learn. Come on, Silver. Get him up, my fellow. following day, Joe Lieber drove the stage to the town of Kenwood. There he picked up a single passenger, a tall Easterner for the return trip to Big Bend. We see Joe now as he speaks to the guard while guiding the horses over the rough trail to town. Well, the fellow we got inside is a government hombre, all right, Pete. You sure of that? There yeah, can't be no doubt of it. Randolph told me just what he looked like. I'll Randolph find out about <laughs> it. <laughs> the same way he found out the government decided to get his company. Yeah, and this Eastern Senegal is a powerful, smart outfit. They have fellas in Washington spying for them. Uh-huh. Uh, what do you think? Uh, just out? a second. Uh, this is where we're leaving the trail up. Easy there, you critters. Blast you. Quit trying to stay on the road. Hey, Savvy's turn well. This ain't the way to go. Yeah, I'll teach you. Take that. Get along with you. Get up. Get up. Oh, sure. Boss, this whole trail ain't been used for a long spell. So we can get through? Yeah, we'll... Make it all right. Wonder if that government fellow's got any notion we ain't taking him to town. Why should he? He ain't never been this way before. This is mighty risky business. Yeah, Mr. Randolph's pain is good, ain't he? Yeah, but just all the same. we gotta do is keep him away from town long enough so Mr. Randolph can buy up that land. Before the settlers can find out they won. You figure they'll sell? Sure they will. Most of them don't reckon they stand a chance against the syndicate. Uh-huh. So they'll sell now. Here they won't be able to get nothing at all later on. The boss is sure plenty smart. Yeah, uh, he is that. How much farther we got to go? Oh, not far. Just this side of the old bridge up ahead. You want to stay at the old cabin? Yeah, there ain't no better place to hide out. Nobody ever comes this way no more. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Randolph will let us know when we can let the government fella go. Then he'll pay us off and we'll clear out of this part of the country. Hey, Randolph taking big chances. Oh, shucks. 
Ain't no one can prove he had anything to do with it. What are we going to do with the stage? Hey, you just leave that to me. Well, it's just one thing I won't stand for. There ain't going to be no killing. You're blamed right, Jerry. I don't hanker to get my neck in a noose any more than you do. Right, get on there, Blaster. It was Randolph found out about Sam going blind, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, he told me and I told Mr. Perry. So I got the job driver. Hadn't you better rein up? Yeah. And just as soon as I do... You hop down and come in that fellow with a gun. I'll take care of him. Yeah, this will do all right. Pull up, Doc. Pull. Pull. Bless you. Pull there, boy. I'll get him all right. I'll be right with you. What's the idea of stopping here? Climb out of there, mister. Come on. We got you covered. The... Get out before we drill you. Is this a holdup? Never mind what it is. Ice your hands. You men can be jailed for this. Uh-huh. But we gotta be cats first. I'll see. Shut up. Pete, hold them horses a second. Yeah. <laughs> now I'll show you what I had in mind to do with the stage. I still don't savvy what you're You watch. You're blamed right, I am. Uh, just hold them horses. Are you crazy, man? Uh, I reckon that'll do it. Uh, hand me the whip, Pete. Right here. Here you are. Yeah, good. Uh, just get them horses started back for town. Well, just what are you go- Get along with you. Get up. Get up there. Go on. Get along with you. Well, what place did you do that for, Joe? The horses will head right for Big Bend. Yeah, what good work. <laughs> and when they get there, everybody will figure we was held up and shot. But all the time, we'll be right over there in the cabin. And this fella here is staying right with us. <laughs> In town, the usual crowd of people waiting for the stage was increased when word was spread that the stage was unaccountably late. We see the district manager, John Perry, as he attempts to answer their worried questions. The stage is almost a half an hour late already, John. Figure there could have been an accident. Weren't never late when Sam was driving. Can't you tell us what's happened? Quiet, folks. Quiet. How do you figure I know any more about it than the rest of you? But what if the government feller was on the stage today? No one's got any call to be worried. But look here. Joe's a new man on the stage. You can't expect him to do so well right off. (laughs) Amos, you might as well forget about that fellow from Washington. It won't matter if he does come. Bless you, Randolph. I've called a meeting for tonight. Everybody who wants to sail while they have the chance will be there. He ain't got no right to do that. There's nothing to stop me. You... There's the stage. I've seen no driver. What's happened to Joe? My golly. Them horses are coming in with them sails. There's been trouble. Grab them horses. Stop. I'll get them. Oh, oh, Then a holdup. There's bullet holes for Sage. Maybe Joe and Peter are killed. I wonder if the government feller was along. I don't know, but something's got to be done. Somebody get the sheriff. We got to figure this thing out. The curtain falls on the first act of our thrilling Lone Ranger drama. Before the next exciting scenes, please permit us to pause for just a few moments.
Now to continue our story. An eastern syndicate claimed that an old land grant gave them title to property owned by settlers in the country around Big Bend. The government decided in favor of the settlers and sent a representative to announce the decision in person. But Randolph, the agent of the syndicate, learned of the decision and arranged for the representative to be kidnapped and held while he bought up the settlers' land before they could learn they had won their case. As our second act opens, we see the Lone Ranger and Tonto that same day in their small, well-concealed camp in the hills. Tonto, I saw the stage when it arrived in town. Uh It was empty, and there were bullet holes in it. Might be that those shots were just fired as a warning to make the stage stop. Maybe that right. But what I can't understand is why outlaws would have held up the stage. If not have cash. It held nothing of value. But I wonder what you think. When we were in Kenwood, we saw a man get on the stage who looked like an Easterner. Oh, him from East, all right. And he might have been the man sent here from Washington. Uh-huh. I'm sorry now that we didn't follow the stage when it started back for Big Bend. But I never thought anything would happen to it. Uh-huh. And I was anxious to arrive in town first. Uh, Tonto learned plenty. You have? Fellow named Joe worked for Randolph long time past. Joe Lieber once worked for Randolph? Not right. That's something I never knew before. Joe, plenty bad feller. Him gunman. And Joe was driving the stage today. Uh, Here, Silver. Uh, what do you do? We're riding to town, Kimosami. You're white feller. We've got to find out what's happened to the passenger on the stage. Yep. That's right. Randolph has called a meeting of the settlers for tonight. He's in a hurry to buy their land. Tonto know that. Most of them will sell. And if the government man isn't found, it may be that they're selling land they could keep. Ah. But I have a plan we'll try. What that? We're going to call on old Sam Lennox. Come on, Get Silver. Get white fellow. Shortly after the masked man and Tonto started for town, Sam Lennox, the blind ex-stage driver, made his way to the office of John Perry, the manager of the stage line. It is early evening as we see Sam enter the office, closing the door behind him. Evening, Sam. Howdy, Mr. Perry. I come for my money. Uh Uh-huh. Here, let me help you to a chair. I don't need no help. Shucks, I know this office like the inside of my hand. Yep, I reckon you do at that. Now, uh, about my pay... It's right here. But first, I got some news I'd like to tell you. Yeah? It's right good news for me. Well, now, I'm glad to hear that. But, uh, but maybe things being so tough for you, I shouldn't have mentioned it. You've always been a friend of mine, Mr. Perry, and I don't ever expect to see the day when I'll be sorry for my friend's good fortune. Sam, I just got word I'm going to be made manager of the whole division. That's fine. Of course, it'll mean I'll have to move to Kenwood. Then, uh... Then you'll have to give somebody your job here. That's right. Have you got anybody in mind? Well, I don't know. I was figuring on giving it to Joe Lieber. You was. But now if he's been killed, I'll have to find somebody else. Ain't there been no word yet? Not a blame thing. The sheriff took a posse and rode to Kenwood. But he never seen no sign of outlaws or Joe either. That's a funny thing. All he found out was they had a passenger. And now the passenger's gone too. Well, the sheriff is going out to look for him again tomorrow. Uh... Mr. Perry. Yeah? You you wouldn't give me that job you were speaking of, would you? Now, Sam, you know as much as I'd like to, it couldn't be done. Maybe I couldn't drive the stage no more, but I wouldn't have to be able to see to do the work here in the office. I'm sorry, Sam. There isn't a chance of it. Well, I I just figured it wouldn't do no harm to ask. Something else will turn up for you, Sam. I reckon. 
You're going to Randolph's meeting tonight? I don't know. Just a minute. A mask man. I want to talk to you men. You're an outlaw. Get out of here. I'm not an outlaw. Then what do you know? I haven't time to waste explaining. I can't see you, stranger. But you don't sound to me like an outlaw. What's your game? I want Sam's help. My help? What do you want with a blind fellow? Sam, I've heard that you know this country between here and Kenwood as well as any man in this district. As well? I know it a heap better. Can you think of any places where a man might be hidden safely? I can think of a dozen of them. Some place not too far from the stage trail? I sure can, but what... The man that got on the stage today at Kenwood was an Easterner. Now look here. You're an outlaw and we don't want no truck with you. I'll let him talk, Mr. Perry. I got a notion he's got something important in mind. And it's possible that the passenger was the man you've been expecting from Washington. By golly, he might have been. I've learned from Tonto that Joe Lieber once worked for Randolph. Who told him that? Say, I'd heard something like that myself. Joe might still be working for him. How do you mean? Randolph seems to be in a big hurry to buy the settler's land. Well, he'll likely get most of it tonight. Perhaps Joe wasn't shot. Perhaps he's holding his passenger a prisoner. How do you know that? I don't know it, but I want to find out. But I... Will you help me? I sure do anything I can. You'll have to but drive the stage. Hold on there. Sam can't do that. That's for Sam to say. Mr. Perry, I could have drove that stage for years with my eyes tight closed. I reckon being blind ain't no different. I want you to lead Tonto and me to all the good hideouts you know close to the stage trail. I can do just that. With them horses, I could go anywhere. Well, I say you ain't going to do it. Now listen, Mr. Perry. The stage is company property, and I can't take no chances letting a blind fellow wreck it. It's more important for the settlers to save their land. You can't have the stage. Sam, will you take a chance? Will you drive the stage anyhow? You figure we can prove Joe Lieber a crook? I believe we can. Then I'm with you, stranger. Good. I was sure you'd agree. The stage is outside. It ain't. The horses are in the stable. I'll have hitched up the horses and the stage is ready to go. And so am I. Come on. Hey, wait. I'll have the law on both of you. Wait, I say. Come back here. We'll have to risk that, Perry. Sam, come back here. You've gone loco. Maybe I have, Mr. Perry, but I'm sure enjoying it. Get started, Sam. Tonto and I will ride with you. Lester, you'll pay for this. Get up, there, Blackie, old fellow. Get up, Nicky. Go on, Silver. Although blind, Sam handled the heavy stage without difficulty. There was perfect understanding between him and the horses he drove. And while the masked man and Tonto rode on either side, he raced down the trail to Kenwood. Twice, however, he stopped and pointed out a possible hiding place to the Lone Ranger. But both times they were disappointed. Well, we'll just have to try again, friend. No one has been here. What makes you so sure they can't be fur from the trail if they're hid? In the first place, the empty stage got into town only 20 minutes late. I hadn't thought of that. And in the second, when they left the stage, they had no horses. They wouldn't have gone far on foot. Then we'll keep on going. How far is the next place you had in mind? It's just a piece up the road. Get up, Tower. Get up. Come on. Come on. Come on. Just thinking, they might have gone up the old trail. Yes. Maybe the engine can see if there's tracks there. Huh? Tonto, Tonto, look. What's the matter, Blackie? You're nervous. What is it, old fella? 
Are you trying to tell me something? <coughs> Doggone, he sure is trying. Me find him crack. You did? It go that way. Down the old trail. Maybe this is it, but we haven't a minute to spare. Randall's meeting should be almost ready to start. Get up Come on, Come on, In town, the meeting called by Randolph got underway. The village hall was crowded with settlers more than half convinced that their only chance to save something from their homes was to sell. We see old Amos Drake as he speaks angrily to the syndic representative. You're a crook, Phil Randolph, and I'd sure give a heap to be able to prove it. Talk all you want to, Amos, I'm getting down to business. This is your meeting. I can't stop you. Quiet, everybody. I have something to say. Well, go ahead, Men, the company I represent has every reason to believe it will win the government's decision. But we wish to act fairly. And the sooner we get possession of the property, the more value we'll have for us. In view of that fact, I have been authorized to offer one dollar an acre to all who are willing to sell at once. One dollar you'll give us? It ain't near what the land's worth. It's worth ten dollars an acre. We figured you'd give us more than that. Just one moment. You can hold your land if you wish. But I warn you that you receive not one red penny from us when the government hands down its decision. Remember! Remember that one dollar an acre is better than nothing at all. This offer won't be made again. So those who wish to sell, step forward. I'll take your names. Don't pay no attention to him, fellas. Hold out till the government feller gets That's here. You can do it because you've got cash, Amos. We don't aim to lose everything we got. I'll take the dollars so long as I can't get no better. Me too. I'll get what I can. Just step this way. I know what land each of you owns. I have money here. And Hold on. Hurry, man. Who's the fellow that paid us for doing it? So, what are you doing here? Me and Pete ain't going to take the blame all by ourselves. You're under arrest, Randolph. Well, they found us. I couldn't help it. I you won't do any more talking. He's got a gun. Watch out. Who shot my hand? I only hit your gun, Randolph. Hold him. We got the skunk. Listen to me. This is Mr. Bennett, the man you've been expecting from Washington. Then you found him after all. Thanks to Sam here. Sam found him? Sometimes blind men can see more than men with eyes. Well, I'll be blasted. Sam tells me you'll soon need a new manager here. Yeah, that's right. Sam would make the best district manager this town ever had. I'll be dead if I don't think you're right. Mr. Perry, you... You really mean you'll give me a chance at it? That's just what I mean, Sam. I think Mr. Bennett has something to say that will interest all of you. Sam, the government decided that the land rightfully belongs to you. The syndicate's land grant was proved to be a forgery. you all the time, them fellas was crooked. But all you fellas would have lost your land anyhow if it hadn't been for the masked fella and Sam here. Oh, I just helped him. But it was him figuring things out and having faith in me that done the trick. Well, the both of you saved our land and fixed it so them fool cats would be put in jail. I don't know which one of you did the most of it. And I don't savvy yet how it was done. But we ain't forgetting, no matter what happened. Fellow, Santa was located Jack Wesley. We've got to hurry. Hi-oh! 
story you have just heard is a copyrighted feature of the Lone Ranger Incorporated. Listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast is a unique experience. You will be able to listen to several old-time radio shows in one episode. From Our Miss Brooks to Gunsmoke, from comedy to drama and even science fiction, it's all here. New free episode every Friday, and you can even subscribe for only 99 cents a month to double your listening pleasure. So make sure you click follow us and find us on Facebook. So relax and enjoy the shows. And by for Space Cadet in 30 seconds. Kellogg's Raisin Bran has a secret. Kellogg's Raisin Bran has a secret. Yes, Kellogg's brings you the secret of a more delicious breakfast treat. It's new, it's wonderful. It's Kellogg's Raisin Bran, both fruit and cereal, all in one box. You get plump, tender raisins dipped in honeycomb, along with delicious gold and crisp bran flakes. So try the new fruit and cereal combination. Get Kellogg's Raisin Bran because Kellogg's Raisin Bran has a secret. And now, Kellogg's Corn Flakes, the cereal that helps you have more punch till lunch, invites you to rocket into the future with Tom Corbett. Stand by to raise ship. Last off, minus five. Four, three, two, one, zero! As roaring rockets blast off to distant planets and far-flung stars, we take you to the age of the conquest of space with... Tom Corbett! Space Cadet! Shanghai from Earth and taken aboard the rocket ship Constellation bound for the star systems of outer space, Tom Corbett and Harris, the crewman who has befriended him, managed to escape while the ship refueled at Venusport, but were then captured by the port guard. Without delay, they were taken to the office of the port commander. And now, Tom and Harris, still dressed in the drab dungarees of ordinary spacemen, stand at attention before a grim-faced warrant officer. All right, now. Let's get this straight. You say your name is Tom Corbett and that you're a cadet from Space Academy. Yes, sir. And you, Harris, are you a cadet too? No, sir. I'm a spaceman, second class in the Constellation. I see. Corbett, what's a space cadet doing aboard the Constellation? I told you, sir. I was Shanghai. That's true, sir. He was. I suppose you can identify yourself, Corbett. Well, they took my uniform away from me. All my papers were in it. You tell a pretty good story, Corbett, but that's all it is. Unless you can give me proof, I'll have to turn you over to your captain. Wait, sir. It's easy enough to check. Radio Space Academy. Talk to Commander Artwright. That is impossible. Venus is in apposition to Earth. We're on the other side of the sun. We can't make radio contact for another week. But there must be some way. Check on Captain Pickering yourself. Talk to the crew. I don't have to. Captain Pickering can speak for himself. He's waiting in the outer office. What? Send Captain Pickering in, please. But, sir, he'll deny everything. If you have any accusations to make, you can make them to his face. You're sent for me, Mr. Porter? Yes, Captain. Come in, please. I 
expecting to find the port commander here. He is inspecting the space stations on the equator. I'm handling this case. That suits me, as long as I get my men back. They tell a strange story, Captain Pickering. This fellow, Corbett, claims to be a space cadet. Well, that's one I never heard before. I want to check with you before I took action. Nothing to check. It's a fairy tale. Fairy tale, huh? Then how about letting Mr. Porter aboard the Constellation? Let him talk to the other space hands. Mr. Porter's welcome aboard any time, but I'm sure he's got other things to do. You're bluffing. If he knew what the conditions are aboard your that's ship... That's enough out of you! If you can see, Mr. Porter, this boy's a troublemaker. Has been ever since he came aboard. I'm sorry we signed Then let me go. I would. I'd leave your boat here to be tried as deserters. But I'm shorthanded. The choice is up to you, Captain. By space law, you can turn him over to us for disciplinary action or punish him yourself with a fine or extra duty. Take us to the port commander. Give us a chance to tell him our story. I'm in command here, Harris. I'll decide what to do with you. Well, Mr. Porter, I think you can see from their actions what kind of men we're dealing with. Yes, I certainly can. Of course, if you want to wait for the port commander to make the final decision. Not at all. Just get these troublemakers out of here and blast off. Right you are. And don't worry. When I get them out in space, they'll learn to toe the mark. Wow. Looks like the space cadets are rocketing in all tubes. There's real adventure ahead, but they're ready for it. Have to be prepared for it all the time. And one way to do it is to make sure they get enough quick energy food. Helps them blast off in a hurry. Take breakfast, for instance. Every space cadet knows the importance of eating a good, nourishing breakfast every morning. And he knows to build it around Kellogg's Corn Flakes. Because Kellogg's Corn Flakes are a real quick energy food. As Astro would say, every spoonful of Kellogg's Corn Flakes helps me get set for a quick blast off. Helps me zoom right off and helps me keep zooming right up till noon. Why, I wouldn't think of setting out on a mission without first fueling up on some quick energy food. And so, I always stow away a big bowl of Kellogg's Corn Flakes soon as I hear the alert. And Astro could tell you, too, that there's mighty swell eating in a bowl of Kellogg's Corn Flakes. Kellogg's Special Toasting brings out all the sweet, lively corn flavor in every flake. So do as Astro does. Build your breakfast around Kellogg's Corn Flakes and not only will you be having yourself a swell flavor treat, but you'll be helping yourself to more punch till lunch. More punch till lunch. More punch till lunch. With Kellogg's Corn Flakes. Unable to persuade the warrant officer in command of Venusport that he has been shanghaied, Tom Corbett is taken back aboard the rocket ship Constellation with his newfound friend, Harris. And the ship blasts off for a long voyage into deep space. Meanwhile, back at Space Academy. Cadet Astro reporting his orders, sir. Well, Astro, any luck? Oh, not a bit, Captain Strong. We couldn't find a trace of Tom anywhere. Come in. Roger. Any luck? Yeah, I think so, Astro. Well, out with it, Manning. I found an air car a cab driver in town and remember seeing Tom. He picked Tom up at a stand in town about 2300 Sunday night. He must have been on his way back here to the academy. No, the cabbie said Tom was sick or something. He was unconscious and a merchant spaceman had him in tow. A merchant spaceman? Yes, sir. The driver took both of them to the terminal spaceport and the last he saw of Tom, he was being carried aboard a ship called the Constellation. The Constellation? I've heard of her. She's a deep spacer. Usually travels out to Sirius and Alpha Centauri. Now, let me see now. I have a log of all space flights leaving Earth in the past five days. Oh, yes. Here we are. 
with a constellation. She was due to stop at Venusport for supplies and to blast off for deep space at 0930 Earth time today. Well, that's half an hour ago. Come on up to the communications room, boys. We'll contact Venusport right now. <laughs> What are we waiting for, Captain Strong? Now we're in opposition to Venus. A direct signal can't get through. They're setting up a, a relay transmission. Earth to Mars, to Titan, and back to Venus. And Captain Strong here. Warrant Officer Porter, Venus Port. Go ahead, Captain Strong. Listen, Porter, this is urgent. Have you cleared the deep spacer constellation yet? The constellation? She blasted off the Sirius 15 minutes ago. Why? Well, we have good reason to believe that one of our cadets is being held illegally aboard that ship. What? A cadet by the name of Corbett. Tom Corbett. Corbett? Are you sure, Captain? Almost. Why? Have you seen him or heard anything about him? Well, I... I... I don't quite know how to say this. I... I'm afraid I've made a terrible mistake. Well, get to the point, man. Well, Corbett was here. Told me a fantastic story about being shanghai and I didn't believe him. You didn't? No. He didn't have any identification. Couldn't prove his story, so I sent him back to the constellation. Oh, that rockhead. I'm sorry, Captain. Well, never mind that now. Listen. Send every available patrol ship after the constellation. But, but there are none in port now. I can pull them off orbit, but it'll take two days to catch up. Two days? Blasted, that's too long. They'd never make it. Well, I am not, I'm terribly sorry, Captain. If there's anything else I can... Oh, you've done enough already, Porter. End transmission. Well, there's only one ship faster than the Constellation, and that's the Polaris. How long will it take you two to get ready? We're ready now, sir. Good. Then get aboard the Polaris. We raise ship immediately. <laughs> Tom, four more hours on the power deck for us. What does Pickering think we are? We can't work like this on short rations. He'll see that we do. That warrant officer at Venusport had only listened to me. You made a good try, Tom. Well, they don't pay off on tries, Harris. And now what? Do we just keep slaving down here until we drop? That's just about it, Tom. Until we drop. Four hours. I can't take it, Tom. This heat. No water, no food. Okay. Take a breather, Harris. I'll cover for you. No, Tom, you'd only get yourself in trouble. Harris. Harris. Hey, give me a hand here. Someone help me. Quick. How are you feeling now, Harris? Better, Tom. That broth helped some. Oh, that rotten space slug. He's trying to kill us. I suppose so. He's master of this ship. He can do anything he wants. Maybe. But I noticed some of the crew are beginning to grumble about the way he's working us. They always grouse. Don't mean anything. Listen. How many of the space hands do you figure would be loyal to Captain Pickering in case of trouble? Trouble? You mean mutiny? Now, hold on, Tom. This is crazy. You can't pull a mutiny in deep space. Why not? There'd be no one to navigate. The ship would become a derelict. I can navigate. You? Sure, I'm a space cadet. I've had plenty of training in astrogation. 
I know I could get the ship back to Venusport if I could just reach the controls. We'd be taking an awful chance. Pickering would kill us if we failed. It's better to go down fighting than die this way. I've talked to some of the space ends, Tom. Five of them are with us. Good. Uh oh. What now? Now hear this. All hands report to the main deck on the double. Any man who fails to report will be shot. That is all. What do you suppose that means? I don't know, Tom. But I don't like the sound of it. I don't like it at all. Look, Harris, there's Captain Pickering. And there's Dawson with a couple of deck officers. They're all armed, ready for trouble. Come on, come on, get your troops and pay attention. That's better. Now, I don't have to tell you I'm an old hand at dealing with spacemen, and I've been watching you ever since we blasted off. You're a surly bunch of space rats. I don't like the looks of you, and I can smell a mutiny a light year away. What do you mean? You hurt me, I said mutiny. I know who the ringleaders are, and I'm going to make an example of them. I promise it'll be an example you'll never forget. When I pick out these two men, I want the rest of you to go back to your station. Any man who likes will get 50 hours extra duty on short ration. Wait, men. Listen to me. Tom, no. How long are you going to stand for this? Captain Pickering's no better than a pirate. Oh, stand the red sack, man. This is your last chance. Take over the ship. I can get you back to Earth, and we'll put Pickering behind bars where he belongs. You get it, Tom. The men are starting to mutiny. I've got to get up to the control deck before Pickering does. Go on, I'll take care of Dawson. Right, but watch yourself. He's armed. Don't worry. Get going. Oh, no, you don't. Never mind me. Get to the control room. Plot a new orbit back to Earth. I'll have to swing her into a 180 turn and rack up a true course later. Let's see. Steering vane set for 1.5. Full burst on starboard jets. And take a lateral sweep. Uh, that should do it. Orbit. This is Captain Pickering. Now listen to me. What do you want, Pickering? I'll make a deal with you. Fat chance. I've got control of the ship now. Open the hatch, Corbett. Give yourself up. Nothing doing, Pickering. You're over a peril and you know it. We put down the mutiny and captured your friend Harris. What? I have him right here beside me. If you give yourself up, I won't blast him. You have my word on that. If you refuse... He gets it. How do I know you're telling the truth? I'll put him on so you'll know he's still alive. All right, Harris, go ahead. Tom, don't trust him. Save yourself. Nobody can help me anymore. All right, Corbett. His life is in your hands. Now I'm going to count to ten. If you don't open the hatch, Harris gets it. One, two. I can't let him shoot Harris in cold blood. But if I give myself up... 
Oh, what's the use? I don't have any choice. Just two more seconds left, Corbett. Okay, Pickering, you win. Don't shoot, Pickering. The hatch is open. What are we doing, Astro? Any word from Manning, topside? No, he's glued to the radar scanner, Captain Strong, but nothing to report yet. Well, frankly, I don't think we have a prayer of overtaking a constellation. She's got too big a lead on it. I hate to admit it, sir, but I'm afraid you're right. Captain Strong, I've got a scanner reading. With a constellation? Yes, sir. Are you sure, Roger? Look, Astro, if you ran your power deck as well as I handle a radar bridge, we wouldn't have any problems. All right, cut that, Manning. What's their position? I'll show it to you on the solar chart, sir. There's the spot. Well, that's strange. The ship must have made a, a lateral sweep off course and then corrected it. Why would they do that? Well, I don't know, Astro. But it's given us the break we need. We can overtake her now. Then who cares why they did it? Stand by, Tom. We're on our way. All right, Captain Pickering, you're back in control of your ship. Now, where's Harris? You won't be seeing Harris anymore, Corbett. What do you mean? You gave your word he wouldn't be harmed. You weren't listening closely. I said I wouldn't blast him, and I didn't. Then what happened? Where is he? Drifting somewhere in space. Why, you filthy space rat. Oh, Corbett, or I'll blast you to a cinder. Why don't you get it over with? Because with Dawson gone, I'm short a navigator. You're taking Dawson's place. You're space happy. I'll never navigate this ship. Don't try anything. Attention, Constellation. Attention, Constellation. Polaris pulling alongside with boarding party. Captain Strong. Message received and understood. Uh, looks like you're all washed up, Pickering. When they find me here, you... Sorry to disappoint you, Corbett, but when the boarding party arrives, they won't find any trace of you on this ship. I'm getting rid of you once and for all. And now, all you future space cadets, boys and girls, let's take time out for a question to start off our Kellogg's Cornflakes Space Quiz to see how your knowledge of space and the universe is. Here's our first question. What is it that distinguishes the planet Saturn that makes it different? The one thing that helps you tell it from all others. Well, it's simply that the planet Saturn is surrounded by a tremendous ring. That's where the space cadets get the expression rings of Saturn. And here's an easier question. What is it that makes Kellogg's cornflakes the favorite ready-to-eat cereal of the whole universe? The answer to that one is easy. It's that famous Kellogg flavor. The way Kellogg's special toasting process brings out all the sweet, lively corn flavor in each golden flake makes each flake crisp and tender. Yes, flavor is what makes Kellogg's Corn Flakes the favorite ready-to-eat cereal of people everywhere. It's the kind of flavor that brings you back for seconds, keeps you reaching for that box of Kellogg's Corn Flakes time after time, morning after morning. So make sure you get the one and only Kellogg's Corn Flakes. Tom's desperate attempt at mutiny failed. His last chance of escape from the rocket ship constellation is seemingly gone. Then suddenly the Polaris draws alongside, and Captain Pickering is ordered to stand by for a boarding party. Captain Strong and Cadets Astro and Manning make a thorough search of the constellation, but can find no trace of Tom. Now look here, Strong. I'm getting a little fed up with this. You're delaying my voice for no reason at all. You and your blasted cadets don't get off my ship in two minutes. I'll see that you're broke. You'll be cleared when we finish our search, Pickering. Not before. Captain Strong! Captain Strong! Yes, Astro. We found something, You sir. did? Yes, sir. Tom. 
Tried to search the entire ship from nose to tail. The cadet you're looking for isn't aboard. Now, listen. Now, I insist that you let me resume course. You've had your chance. I've given you every bit of cooperation. What more do you want? Please, Skipper, don't let him talk you out of it. Oh, it isn't a question of talking me out of anything. We've searched the ship, and we haven't found Tom. But his watch, sir. You might be mistaken, Astro. All right, Pickering. Let's go back to the control deck, and I'll sign your clearance into the log. What are we going to do? Look, the skipper's signing the log. In another two minutes, Pickering will be underway again. I know, Roger, and I'm just as sure as you are that Tom's aboard somewhere. But how can we prove it? All right, Pickering, there you are. You're cleared for the rest of your voyage. Thank you. That does it, Astro. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Look at that indicator on the control panel. Huh? Which one? The main rocket firing tube. One of them has mass in the reactor. So what? We're drifting. There shouldn't be anything in the tube. The reactors only feed in during acceleration. Hey, you're right. Say, Roger, did you check those tubes? Did you look inside them? No, did you? Uh-uh. Jumping Martian mice, I wonder if... All right, boys. Let's get back aboard the Polaris. Oh, wait a minute, sir. There's something wrong. Are you starting that routine again, Cadet? Get them off my ship. Oh. No, Skipper, listen. We didn't search the firing tube. And there's some kind of mass in one of them. Look at the control panel indicator. Why, that's just a gas accumulation. Here, I'll blast it out. No, get away from that panel. Get your hands off me, you young space pup. Sorry to be disrespectful, sir, but maybe this will stop you. Oh, you right on the button. I'm sorry I had to do that, sir, but... If he fired up that tube with Tom in it... Well, I know, Astro, but you'd better get down there right now and make sure you're right. If Tom isn't there, then you're in trouble. Well, Tom, how does it feel to be in a cadet uniform again? I never thought I'd be so glad to wear one, Roger. You sure had us worried, Tom. Speak for yourself, Astro. I wasn't worried about the lug for a minute. All right, boys, take your stations and prepare for deceleration. We enter Earth's atmosphere in four minutes. Right, Captain Strong. It can't be too soon for me, sir. Aren't you worried about getting back, Tom? Worried, sir? Well, you're over two weeks AWOL, you know. Jumping jets? I forgot about that. <laughs> Look at his face. He really is worried. Well, who wouldn't be? Two weeks AWOL? Oh, gosh, sir, what do you think they'll do to me? Well, under the circumstances, I think Commander Arkwright won't be too hard on you. Of course, uh, he may not give you any weekend leave for a while. Weekend leave? After what happened on my last one, I don't think I'll ever take another as long as I live. Don't miss the next action-packed adventure with Tom Corbett and the Space Cadets when death lurks in the void as the boys begin Operation Hide and Seek. Tune in, same time, same station, for the next thrilling interplanetary adventure with Tom Corbett, Space Cadet. Brought to you by Kellogg's Corn Flakes, the cereal that helps you have more punch to lunch. Tom Corbett, Space Cadet, starring Frankie Thomas, also appears in the comic sections of many of Canada's leading newspapers. Look for a daily and in weekend edition. Featured in the cast are Al Markham as Astro, Jan Merlin as Roger Manning, and Edward Bryce as Captain Strong. Today's program was directed by Drex Heim. Jackson Beck speaking.
Say, like to make breakfast more fun, have a different cereal every morning? Then ask Mom to get Kellogg's Variety Pack. You see, Kellogg's Variety Pack is an assortment of all favorite cereals. Ten individual size packages in one handy carton. With Kellogg's Variety on the table, you can pick and choose to your heart's content from such favorites as Kellogg's Corn Flakes, Pep, Rice Krispies, Kellogg's Raisin Bran, and others. Remember, each of the ten individual packages in Kellogg's Variety Pack is a generous service. You choose and open your own package yourself. And because each package contains exactly one bowl full, the cereals stay extra crisp and fresh. So just for fun, make breakfast fun. Ask Mom to get Kellogg's Variety Pack. a Coke. She was a Pepsi. Together, they were a Coke and a Pepsi. It's the story of a much older, older Pepsi and a much younger Coke. She offered him a thrill. He went along for the ride until one day, jealousy took over. Pepsi found out her friends liked the new Coke for his better taste. And that's when they fell out. Well, uh, that's when Pepsi fell out. This is Max Edrum. Catch the wave. Coke. Presenting Superman. Up in the sky. Look, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. And now, Superman. When we last left Superman, he had arrived in Denver as Clark Kent, news reporter, to investigate a strange and deadly plot against the railroads of the West. He had been able to prevent the Continental Limited from being swept into a canyon by a rock slide. But now the unknown force is directed against the Silver Clipper, crack train of the West Coast Railway. Mysterious messages have warned that the Clipper, due to leave Denver at sundown, will never arrive in Salt Lake City. Morning newspapers have carried Kent's story of the rock slide. And while railroad officials and government men search desperately for clues, Kent himself walks briskly toward the great central station for a conference with the division superintendent. But meanwhile... The plot moves on. In a secret hiding place overlooking the railroad yards, the man called the Wolf talks with his subordinate, Kino. Listen. So, very fine. At last, the unbelieving fools begin to take me seriously. You have read the stories, Kino? I read them. Well, why so sullen? Well, I don't understand it. I tell you, that track was blocked for a hundred feet. And yet five minutes later, the Continental went right on through. Next time, my friend, please to observe more accurately. Obviously, the track was not blocked for a hundred feet. It was not blocked at all. But I tell you it was. You should join forces with the conductor of the train. He swears that a tremendous figure in blue tights and a red cape appeared from nowhere, replaced the missing rails, cleared away 20 tons of rock, and made a safe passage for the train, all in a matter of minutes. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, <clears throat> he is now confined in the city hospital, that conductor, for observation. Yeah. Well, uh, I tell you, I've seen the same thing myself. That will do, my friend. We have no time for pipe dreams. You were deceived by shadows. And now listen, there's work to do. I'm listening. I note that this story is signed by that newspaper man, Clark Kent, the one who was on the train. Well, I told you about him. I should like to be better informed. That fellow seems to know a great deal. How he knows, I have no idea. But he does. 
Also, I have checked up on him. He was assigned to cover the story back east and seems to have arrived out here incredibly soon. Must have flown. Undoubtedly. But that's neither here nor there. Do you know where he is now? I did what you told me. I trailed him. He left his hotel to go see the divisional superintendent of the railroad. Did he? How lucky. Lucky? We'll kill two birds with one stone. We've got them on the run. They're worried, Kino, and frightened. I hope you're right. They don't know which way to turn or what to believe. They'd like to keep the Silver Clipper in Denver tonight, but they don't dare. They don't dare, Kino. They can't admit they're terrified. And wait till they get my telegram. Telegram? Can you dress up like a messenger, Kino? Huh? Uniform and so on? Oh, sure. Excellent, excellent. You will put on your fake uniform and take this wire, also fake... To the superintendent. Now? At once. If you have luck, you'll find him with Mr. Clark Kent. You will also find, I think, that he is trying to locate a missing engine, Kino. Missing engine? Just so. If he finds it, I'll eat it. Huh? Uh, never mind. Get your uniform on, Kino. Deliver the telegram personally. And bring back as much of the conversation as you can. You understand? Now... Now, where's that conductor's story? Quite the funniest reading I've seen this week. A Superman, huh? <laughs> Appearing out of the night. Where, where? Hello. Yes, this is Superintendent speaking. What? Well, trace it again. Trace it from both ends of the line. Ah, oh, nuts. Don't tell me you can't find it. Do you think a locomotive intended could vanish into thin air? Check every station master and call me back. I'm sorry, Mr. Kent. Oh, that's that's quite all right. Stupid idiots. Look here, we sent a spare engine and tender down the line last night, and now they can't tell me where it is. What? On the main line? Certainly. Uh, never mind. Let's get back to this business, the Continental. Any more news of that conductor? No, not so far. Poor fellow's out of his mind. Hmm. What do you suppose he thought he saw? All that... Business about a Superman. Yes, I only wish to heaven they'd never printed it. Well, I didn't report that, believe me. No, I know. And now look here, Kent. I've checked with your paper back east, and they tell me that it's all right, and that you're here to do what you can. Now, what do you want to know? Well, first of all, have you any idea what's back of this trouble on the railroads? Not the slightest. If you ask me, there's a lunatic at large. Oh, don't you believe it? What else can I believe? It's too senseless, utterly mad. Well, you had warnings. Yes, which we ignored. And we get them all the time from cranks and nuts. But these warnings came true. So what of it? Do you still think they came from cranks and nuts? All right, Kent. What do you think? I think that one man or a group of men is trying to paralyze the country with fear. Yes, but why? I'm afraid we'll find that out later. Unless we can stop them. Good Lord, we've got to stop them. This can't go on, Kent. We'll do what we can. What do you suggest? I suggest that you don't let the Silver Clipper leave Denver tonight. Oh, Kent, she's got to leave. Can you imagine what the reaction would be if she didn't? You're taking a chance. I can't help that. She's got to go. Well, then we must work fast. We only have until this evening. I have one more idea. Yes, what is it? Well, if you read my story carefully, you'll see that I imply I know more than I printed. Yes, I did notice that. Well, do you? Not yet, but I expect to. How? The people back of this, particularly the man called the Wolf, will want to know just what I do know and where I got it. Well? 
I propose to show myself around until he catches up with me. Will he? I think so. I was shadowed this morning on my way here. Good Lord. You were? So I think he and his friends are just waiting their chance. And I'm going to give it to them. Oh, Kemp, don't do it. Why, if they'd wreck a train, why, they wouldn't think twice about... <laughs> about putting me out of the way? Yes. Don't worry. But why? What's the idea? While they're finding out how much I know, I may be finding out one or two little items about them. Well, I only hope... Here. How long have you been standing there, messenger? Oh, I just come, boss. You the divisional superintendent? Uh, telegram? Yes, sir. Uh, for you personally. They told me to bring it right in. I seen the door was open, well, so I, I walked... I hope they found that engine. Well? That's all, messenger. Get out. Uh, yes, sir. No, wait. Say, where'd you get this wire? Huh? Why, the, the office gave it to me. Said to bring it right over. All right, all right. Go on. Close the door behind you. Hey, Kent, listen to this. Yes? Where an engine is now, a train will be tomorrow. The silver clipper will vanish like smoke, never to be seen by the eyes of living men. Well, well, sounds like black magic. I don't believe it. Why, they'd never dare. Oh, they'd dare, all right. Is that telegram signed? Uh, yes. It's signed The Wolf. The Wolf? Look here, Mr. Superintendent. Huh? That settles it. Have that wire checked. Find out who sent it and when and from where, if you can. My guess is you'll discover it's faked. I wish we'd held that messenger. Kent, what are you going to do? Just what I said I'd do. Put myself in the hands of the wolf and see who wins. Superintendent speaking. What? What? Why, look here, that's not possible. It can't be. Man alive, think what you're saying. Now, look here, you tell that rude report here in my office. That's right at once. My God, please, I bet I'll find out something. Anything new? Why, it's the silliest thing I ever heard. Wait, that telegram. Where an engine is now. I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a minute. What is it? Kent, that locomotive and tender. It passed through Kingston at 11.15. Yes? And it passed through Richville at 11.50. Well? It should have reached Lewisburg at 12.20, just 30 minutes later. And it didn't? It wasn't on time? On time? I had never got there at all. Oh, well, that's easy. It left the rail somewhere in between. Yes, you'd think so. But listen to this. A crew left Richville and a crew left Lewisburg. They met somewhere in between, just now, in broad daylight. And neither crew had seen a sign of that engine anywhere. That's not possible. No. No, it isn't, is it? Black magic. Isn't that what you called it, Kent? I think I'm going mad like that conductor. Well, what are you going to do? Do? I'm going out to hunt wolves. Anybody looking? No. Quick. Out of these clothes. Now, that window. Goodbye to Clark Kent temporarily. It's Superman's turn now to find out where those devils are hiding and to listen while they tell me what they know. Up, up, over the yards. Circle around a bit. Ha! Ah, there goes that messenger. Watch him, watch him. I land on that roof. Look down into the street. There he goes. The messenger. Into that house with the broken railing. Now then, I think I'll become Clark Kent again. Respectable representative of the Daily Planet. I'll just walk casually down that street and see what happens. Down we go. So, he thinks he'll find out one or two little items about us, Akino. Yeah, that's what he said before they saw me standing there. I think I should like to question that young man on various angles of the 
So interesting story he wrote for this morning's paper. What are you doing by the window? Hey, hey, down there, down there in the street, look. Huh? What is it? It's him, walking right up to the house. What? That? Is that Clark Kent? How did he know where to find me? Who told him? I don't know. Hey, don't look at me like How that. How did he know which way to take to get here? He searched me, boss. He knows too much. How does he know? Quick, kid, downstairs. Hey, boss, what are you going to do with him? There's a vault below us, Kino. Steel-lined and soundproof with various devices to bring out information. You're going to take him there? For a time, for a little conversation, my friend. Stop, stop. Look for the peephole. Is he coming? Here, right this way. Hey, wait a minute. Is anyone else in the alley? No, it's empty. Here he comes. We'll jump out and grab him, huh? Right. Be ready with your blackjack. Now. Hey, where are you going? Quick, quick, Kino, let him have it. Here, what's hey, the big idea? Hey, what hey, the... Go on, jump him, boss. Inside, inside with him, quick. Come on, you, no hanging back. Ah, good work, Kino. Good work down the iron stairway. Quick, quick, someone may have heard us. He's trying to hang back out, fix him. There we are. Shove him inside. Now, close the door. Now then, Mr. Clark Kent, the time has come for a little talk. Kino, my friend, you may prepare the aids to conversation. Clark Kent in the power of the wolf. Or is the wolf, all unknowing, in the power of Superman? And meanwhile, where is the missing engine? Excitement, thrills, suspense. Tune in and follow the story. And remember, be with us again for the next thrilling installment of Superman. Up in the sky, look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Golly, what a wallop! He rang the bell again! He's feeling his Cheerios! Yes, Cheerios, that energizing breakfast cereal made from oats. Good, old-fashioned, nourishing oats, all ready to eat. Cheerios gives you a kind of nourishment that really counts. Cheerios is a cereal that really helps you build up strength and energy. So for your better breakfast, always start with Cheerios. C-H-E-E-R-I-O-S. Cheerios. <laughs> oh, boy, another day in Wormwood Forest. Hello, boys and girls. Again, it's time for another visit with our animal friends down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, don't run away. Listen a while, you'll want to stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Hello, everybody. This is Dippy Dwarf. Today, Gerald Grasshopper has no junk, and the pig has no stopping place. So don't leave your radio. Listen to our animal show. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. building noise. Oh, hello, Gerald Grasshopper. Hi, Duffy Dwarf. Watching the beavers build the pig's new hotel. That's right. Won't be long now till it'll be completed. Uh, I reckon so. Say, they're stopping work. Guess they're knocking off for lunch. Uh, Grasshopper, don't you feel well? Well, my health is all right, Duffy, but business is bad. Your junk business? Yep. Used to be a junk business. Now it's nothing. No junk to sell. Oh, that's too bad. I would give you some of the old junk in the cellar, but I'll be needing it. We're going to put it in the frog's room. <laughs> Did I hear someone mention my name? Hi, Frankie Frog. Oh, hi, you, Jill. Uh, you leaving? Yep. Guess I'll mosey along. Bye, Shorty. Hey, goodbye, Gerald. Oh, poor fella. He hasn't any junk. Yeah, but I got a piece of chocolate pie. Want a bite? If the frog! 
Oh, stop this. Oh, you messed up my beard. Got chocolate all over my face. Here, let me take your beard and dry your face. There. <laughs> oh, thank you, Frog. Will you leave me alone? Yeah, I think I'll hop across the street and see how things are coming along. Well, don't hurry back. Don't worry, I'll be back in time for lunch. <laughs> Hi, you barbecue pig. Hello, Franklin Frog. Hey, your hotel will soon be ready to live in, won't it? I suppose so. Look at that conus. And that window seal is slanting. I bet you can't wait to move in. Gee, a new hotel. Everything just the way you want it? Well, hardly the way I want it. Franklin, does that window facing look plumb to you? Yeah, I don't see any plums on it. I simply must speak to my contractors. Oh, eager beaver. Oh, good day, barbecue pig. How do you find your hotel this morning? Pretty nifty, eh? Yes, ma'am. Yes, indeedy. Except for a few details. You know, eager beaver, it must be wonderful to be in the construction business. Franklin, I wish to speak to the beaver. Taking rocks and wood and stuff and building things? Franklin, I want to talk to the beaver. Gee, let's build a hotel for the pig. A lovely hotel for the pig. With brick and lumber. And rivets to make it strong We'll hear the sound of hammer tin Out yonder where the roof begins Beaver to guide us as we go building along Frog, if you're quite through interrupting me I should like to speak to the eager beaver No, don't mind me, go right ahead Eager beaver I shall attempt to give you my undivided attention, pig Thank you I've been looking over the hotel And I'm not quite satisfied with all of the details I gather you'd like to make a few changes Well, I hardly know enough about buildings and architecture To offer any concrete suggestions Concrete? I thought you were going to use bricks and cement Franklin, come here. Yeah, yes, pig. Take this. Yeah. Now, where was our beaver? You wish to make a few suggestions, and feel free to go right ahead. The Eager Beaver Building Corporation is eager to satisfy. Yes, ma'am. Yes, indeedy. Well, I do wish that you'd widen that little, make that cornice a bit rounder on the edges, wrap at the joints of the uprights, bevel the panel in the wainscot, and beaver, do you follow me? Check, pig. Way ahead of you. You think we can make enough changes in the hotel to suit you, or should we tear it down and start all over from the ground up? Heavens, no, don't start from the ground up. Go from the ground down. This time I want a basement. Hey, Debbie, uh, the pig is making the beaver tell down the hotel. Wait, I thought the hotel was almost finished, Frankie. Yeah, it was, but she changed her mind about the way she wanted it built. Now he has to build it all over again. Hey, poor beaver. But I suppose it's all right as long as the pig pays him for doing it. Oh, she can afford it. Gee, wish I had that pig's money. Then I wouldn't have to walk my kitty. We could take a taxi. Hey, going somewhere with kitty? Yep. We're going up to Susie Skunk's for tea. Oh, there's kitty now, coming down the steps. Hello, dream frog. Uh, hiya, kitty baby. Hello, Dippy. Goodbye. Hey, that was quick. Leaving so soon? Yes. Don't you know you should never keep Susie Skunk waiting? Hey, look across the road, Kittigans. Oh, they're tearing down the hotel. Yeah, it was almost completed, too. The pig wasn't satisfied with it? Nope. She wanted so many things changed that it was simpler to start all over from scratch. Well, what changes did she want made? Well, listen closely as we walk by and you'll hear a few. 
She's still telling him all about it. This time, Eagle Beaver, I want the hot water pipes to run down along the corners from the baseboard to the wallpaper border. And the casement should be reversible. The radiator should be placed under the transoms. The bathtubs must go in the hall closets. The brooms in the linen closets. The fire extinguisher should hang on the left-handed doorknob only. Gee, so Gullikins, the, the Beaver makes all those changes, the hotel won't be finished until next Halloween. And if we don't start hopping, Kitty, we'll be late for Sue's tea party. Have you seen my teapot? Is that it hanging in the twin tubs? Oh, yes. Now, where are the tea bags? In your purse. Oh, of course. You're so rememberish, Chucky. Now, where's my purse? Under the scatter rug. What, Chucky? I just don't know what I'd do without you. You always remember everything. Yes, I like to remember. Remember the night. Tonight, you said I love you. Remember, <laughs> you promised that you'd forget me not, but you forgot to remember. Remember? Oh, Chucky, when you sing to me, I can remember everything. What was I looking for a minute ago? Your purse under the scatter rug. So I was under the scatter. Well, concentrate. Try to think of where you might have put it. In the sink? Or in the cookie jar? Oh, I remember now. It's in the sugar bowl. Your purse is in the sugar bowl? Uh-huh. Someone told me it was the sweetest little purse. Ah, here it is. Now to see if my tea bags are in it. Toothpicks? Jar of prickly pear pickles? Yes. A portable mugwump? What's your mugwump? That's a good question. Pinwheel can opener? A cold waffle? Oh, oh, my goodness sake. A goldfish bowl? Any goldfish in it? What did you expect? Whales? Oh, here are the tea bags. Oh, goody. Oh, oh, goodness, someone's at the door. Well, you see who it is, and, and I'll heat the water for the tea. Hey, yes, sir. I'm coming. If you're working your way through beauty school by selling Marcel's, I don't... Oh, hello, Kitty and Frankie Frog. Well, hello, Susie Scott. Yeah, hiya, Sue. Are we late? Oh, gracious, no. Dunclog just put the water on for the tea. Oh, good. May we come in? Oh, pardon me. That cold air numbed my brain. Yeah, the cold air numbed my fog feet. From a spats down, I don't know what's what. Oh, it's nice and warm in here. Yeah, let me get up close to the fire, please. Careful, Frankie, don't scorch your frog skin. Well, Susie, the water's hot. Well, bring the teapot into the parlor. I have the other tea things in here, Chucky. All righty. Uh, I know, folks. Uh, hiya, Woodchuck. Hello, dumb cluck. Pour the tea in this cup, Chucky. All right. Yeah. And I'll dip the tea bag into for just a second. Where? a hot cup of tea, Kitty. Oh, thanks. It will refresh me. Oh, Susie, this is awful. No, it's tea. It tastes awful to me. Here, you taste it. Very well. Oh, what a taste. Here, let me taste it. It's terrible. Not to be left out. I, too, shall taste it. Oh, for goodness sakes. Susie, can this isn't tea? It's not. Well, let me 
at the tea bags. <laughs> They're not tea bags at all. Well, what are they? Sachet bags to make my purse smell sweet. Well, they might make things smell sweet, but sachet bags don't make good tea, believe me. Well, there's only one thing to do with this cup of tea. What's, What's that? that? I'll raise the window and throw it out. There. Hey, what's going on here? You'll get my shale all wet. Well, sorry, Timothy Turtle, but that tea isn't good for anything else. Well, how you like that? Pouring no good tea on me. It's getting so a turtle can't sleep anywhere. Guess I'll have to crawl somewhere else. What a life. Hey, turtle, wait for me, boy. Oh, hi, Gerald Gricehopper. You look sort of down in the shell, turtle boy. I am. Um, life can be so disheartening. That it can. Right now, Tim, you're gazing at a broken grasshopper. Did you fall and break yourself, Gerald? Well, not that kind of broke. Oh. Financially, I'm broke. Busted. Oh, then the junk business isn't any good? It would be if I had any junk to sell, but I haven't any junk left. Can't you buy any more? Nope. Nobody has any junk to sell this time of year. No junk, no money. Ain't it awful? Now I ain't got no junk. And nobody buys from me. And I'm so broke and busted. What somebody gives some junk to me. Cause I ain't got no junk. And nobody buys from me. Can't buy tobacco unless I get some junk. If I don't get some junk to sell soon, I'll probably starve. Might even have to give up chewing tobacco. Hey, careful where you chuck that tobacco, Gricehopper. The corner of that building just caved in. Well, had no idea it was that strong. I'll try it again. Did you see that? Sure is powerful tobacco. <laughs> Try it once more, Gerald. Okay, here goes. Hey, hey, hold what? on. Hold on a minute. Someone's coming around the corner. And while I'm at it, I'd better decide on the changes in back. I want the rear wall veneered with green brick, and the joints must be motorized. Oh, hello, Gerald. Hi, Peg. Hello, Barbecue Peg. Timothy Tuttle, you'd better move, or you'll be hurt by that falling wall. Uh-oh, Gerald. She saw the wall. Barbecue, I'm awful sorry about that wall. I didn't mean to disintegrate it with my tobacco juice. Whatever you talking about. The wall? He chucked out his tobacco juice, and the wall fell down. Don't be ridiculous. Honest, I did. There are 37 beavers on the other side wrecking this wall. And I didn't do it? Heavens no. I'm having this hotel torn down so I can have the plans changed. Guss your means it, Gerald. See, there'll be a lot of junk here in your way, Peg. Horrors, I hadn't thought about that. Grasshopper, I'll pay you $53 to get a truck and haul this junk away. You will? Yes, here's a $57 bill. Keep the change. Thanks. Come on, Tim boy. I'll hire a truck and be back in the junk business before you can say Jack Robinson Crusoe. Well, if you're going to work, 
There's something else I'd rather do. What's that, turtle? Go to sleep. Good night, Grasshopper. Oh, oh. Oh, no, you don't, you lazy turtle. I need you. You're going to save me money. Well, how can a turtle save you money? I'm not going to hire a truck to haul this junk. I'm going to use your shell for a wheelbarrow. My shell? Yep. Get up and shell out, turtle. Oh, mighty, what a life. What a life. for sleeping, but at least Gerald Grasshopper is happy with the new supply of junk to sell down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, that's all today. We're so glad that you could stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. And next time, Strauss the Mouse offers music lessons at half price. Till then, this is Dippy Dwarf saying so long. Remember next Saturday, listen to our animal play. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Wormwood Forest, written by Tom Titchener, has come to you from WSM in Nashville, Tennessee. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. This presentation is a part of Audio Adventure Theater. CTD Productions presents to you Winnie the Pooh, based on the books by A.A. A. Milne, starring Philip Deason as Winnie the Pooh, and Ray Teeson as the narrator. Episode number seven, Expotition to the North Pole. One fine day, Pooh had stumped up to the top of the forest to see if his friend Christopher Robin was interested in bears at all. At breakfast that morning, a simple meal of marmalade spread lightly over a honeycomb or two, he had suddenly thought of a new song. It began like this. Sing ho for the life of a bear I don't much care if it snows or thaws Cause I've got a lot of honey on my nice clean paws Sing ho for a bear Sing ho for a poo And I'll have a little something in an hour or two <clears throat> Good morning, Christopher Robin we are all going on an expedition. Going on an expedition? I don't think I've ever been on one of those. Where are we going on this expedition? Expedition, silly old bear. It's got an X in it. Oh, I know. We're going to discover the North Pole. Oh, what is the North Pole? It's just a thing you discover. Oh, I see. Are bears any good at discovering it? 
Of course they are. And Rabbit and Kanga and all of you. It's an expedition. That's what an expedition means. A long line of everybody. You'd better tell the others to get ready while I see if my gun's all right. And we must all bring provisions. Bring what? Things to eat. Oh, I thought you said provisions. I'll go and tell them. Hello, Rabbit. Is that you? Let's pretend it isn't and see what happens. I've got a message for you. I'll give it to him. We're all going on an expedition with Christopher Robin. What is it when we're on it? A sort of boat, I think. Oh, that sort. Yes, and we're going to discover a pole or something. Or was it a mole? Anyhow, we're going to discover it. We are, are we? Yes, and we've got to bring Poe things to eat with us, in case we want to eat them. Now I'm going down to Piglet's. Tell Kanga, will you? Whatever you say, Pooh. Oh, Piglet! Huh? We're going on an expedition, all of us, with things to eat, uh, to discover something. To discover what? Oh, just something. Nothing fierce? Christopher Robin didn't say anything about fierce, he just said it had an X. It isn't their necks, I mind, it's their teeth. But if Christopher Robin is coming, I don't mind anything. In a little while, they were already at the top of the forest, and the expedition started. First came Christopher Robin and Rabbit, then Piglet and Pooh, then Kanga with Roo in her pocket, and Owl, then Eeyore, and at the end, in a long line, all Rabbit's friends and relations. Oh, really? Come on! Come on! Come on! We're starting. I must go. All right. We're going. Only don't blame me. This is the first verse. First verse of what? My song. What song? This one. Which one? Well, if you listen, Piglet, you'll hear it. Uh, how do you know I'm not listening? <sighs> <clears throat> we all went off to discover the pole Owl and Piglet and Rabbit and all It's a thing you discover as I've been told By Owl and Piglet and Rabbit and all Eeyore, Christopher, Robin and Pooh And Rabbit's relations all went to And where the pole was none of them knew Sing hey for owl and rabbit and all. Hush! We're just coming to a dangerous place. Hush! 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 What is it, Christopher Robin? It's a windy stream with high rocky banks. It's just the place. For an ambush. What sort of a bush? A gorse bush? My dear Pooh, 
Don't you know what an ambush is? Owl! Pooh's whisper was a perfectly private whisper, and there was no need... An ambush is a sort of surprise. So is a gorse bush sometimes. An ambush, as I was about to explain to Pooh, is a sort of surprise. If people jump out at you suddenly, that's an ambush. It's an ambush, Pooh. When people jump at you suddenly... A gorse bush sprung at me suddenly one day when I fell off a tree, and it took six days to get all the prickles out. We are not talking about gorse bushes. I am. Halt! I think we ought to eat all our provisions now, so that we shan't have so much to carry. Eat all our what? All that we've brought. That's a good idea. Have you all got something? All except me. As usual. I suppose none of you are sitting on a thistle by any chance. I believe I am. Ow! Yes, I was. I thought so. Thank you, Pooh. If you've quite finished with it. It don't do them any good, you know, sitting on them. Takes all the life out of them. Remember that another time, all of you. A little consideration. A little thought for others. Makes all the difference. Rabbit, come with me. Oh, yes, yes, of course. I didn't want the others to hear. Quite so. It's... Uh, I, I wondered... It's only... Rabbit, I suppose you don't know... What does North Pole look like? Well, now you're asking me. I did know once. Only I've sort of forgotten. It's a funny thing, but I've sort of forgotten too. Although I did know it once. I suppose it's just a pole stuck in the ground. Sure to be a pole. Because of calling it a pole. And if it's a pole, well, I should think it would be sticking in the ground, shouldn't you? Because there'd be nowhere else to stick it. Yes, that's what I thought. The only thing is, where is it sticking? That's what we're looking for. This is the first time Ryu's washed his face by himself. Aw, Mom. I don't hold with all this washing. This modern behind-the-ears nonsense. What do you think, Pooh? Well, I think... Ah! Oh, Rue! Rue's falling in! So much for washing. Look at me swimming! Whee! Are you all right, Rue, dear? Yes, look at me swimming! Oh, I say... In a case of sudden and temporary immersion, the important thing is to keep the head above water. Are you sure you're all right, Rudy? Look at me swimming! All this washing. But catch on to my tail, little Roo, and you'll be all right. All right, Roo! I'm coming! Get something across the stream lower down, some of you fellows. Here's a pool I found. I'll help you, Pooh. Look at me swimming! 
There, Roo. Hold the stick and climb out. Swimming? What I was doing? Rabbit, did you see what I was doing? Swimming! Oh, Roo! Hello, Piglet! I say, Piglet, what do you think I was doing? Swimming! Pooh, where did you find that pole? I just found it. I thought it ought to be useful. I just picked it up. Pooh, the expedition is over. You have found the North Pole. Oh! Tell Roo to be quick, somebody. My tail's getting cold. I don't want to mention it, but I just mention it. I don't want to complain, but there it is. My tail's cold. Here I am. Oh, there you are. Did you see me swimming? As I expected. My tail's lost all feeling. Numbed it. That's what it's done. Numbed it. Well, as long as nobody minds. I suppose it's all right. Poor old Eeyore. I'll dry it for you. Thank you, Christopher Robin. You're the only one who seems to understand about tails. They don't think. That's what's the matter with some of these others. They've no imagination. A tail isn't a tail to them. It's just a little bit extra at the back. Never mind, Eeyore. Is that better? It's feeling more like a tail, perhaps. It belongs again, if you know what I mean. Hello, Eeyore. Hello, Pooh. Thank you for asking. But I shall be able to use it again in a day or two. Use what? What we are talking about. I wasn't talking about anything. My mistake again. I thought you were saying how sorry you were about my tail being all numb. And could you do anything to help? No, that wasn't me. Perhaps it was somebody else. Well... Thank him for me when you see him. Pooh's found the North Pole. Isn't that lovely? Is that it? Yes. Is that what we were looking for? Yes. Oh. Well, anyhow, it didn't rain. They stuck the pole in the ground, and Christopher Robin tied a message on it. North Pole Discovered by Pooh Pooh Found It. Then they all went home again, and I think, but I'm not quite sure, that Roo had a hot bath and went straight to bed. But Pooh went back to his own house, and feeling very proud of what he had done, had a little something to revive himself. In Expotition to the North Pole by A.A. A. Milne, dramatized for audio by Caleb Thiessen, you heard Philip Thiessen as Winnie the Pooh, Ray Thiessen as the narrator, Aaron Thiessen as Christopher Robin, Reed Thiessen as Piglet, Chad Carding as Rabbit, 
Caleb Thiessen as Eeyore, Brent Carding as Owl, Daniel Goodman as Baby Rude, and Renee Thiessen as Kanga. Rabbit's friends and relations were played by Hannah Thiessen, Joel Thiessen, Brianna Burton, Jordan Longley, Jared Carding, Francis Aspiris, Natalie Carding, Marcus Burton, and Nathan Carding. The audio adventure theater theme was composed by Garrett Vandenberg. The program was produced by Caleb Thiessen. Winnie the Pooh by A.A. Milne is brought to you by CTD Productions. Be sure to check out our website at audioadventuretheater.blogspot.com. Once upon a time there was an engineer. Choo-choo Charlie was his name we hear. He had an engine and he sure had fun. He used good and plenty candy to make his train run. Charlie says, love my good and plenty. Charlie says, really rings the bell. Charlie says, love my good and plenty. Don't know any other candy that I love so well. Another day in Wormwood Forest. Hello, boys and girls. Again, it's time for another visit with our friends down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, don't run away. Listen up while you want to stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Hello, everybody. This is Zippy Dwarf. Today, Barbecue Pig goes to the ballet with Swindler Q Fox. So don't leave your radio, listen to our animal show. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Oh, I do love the ballet, Swindler Q Folk. It was very charming of you to bring me, Barbecue Pig. They say the ballet Goose de Monte Carlo is the best in the world. Oh, yes. I've heard they have the most talented dancers available. What's next on the program? I do believe it's the Tennessee Waltzing Horse. Oh, I adore waltzing horses. Oh, quite the lights are dimming. And you're going to build a new hotel. Oh, yes. The Dwarf Waldorf is so archaic, so passe, so, so run down. That your hotel will be modern, expensive. What? I plan to spend a lot of money on it. Money? Quite a lot? Duh. Big. Just how much do you mean by quite a lot? Oh, thousands and thousands, Swindler. Oh, quite the next number starting. It's Lana Lover Lightning Bug. Ah, the flame that attracts them all. The Lightning Bug's going to dance now. Lana Lover Lightning Bug is so graceful. Don't you think so, Swindler Q. Of course, Big, of course. But now, about your money. To get back to your money. When I'm out with you, we always seem to get back to it. In fact, we never seem to get away from it. Who is going to build your hotel, Pig? Why, the Eager Beaver Building Corporation, of course. Of course. 
I was afraid of that. Mm, big. Why don't you let me take charge of the building? What do you know about buildings, Wendell <laughs> My dear pig, you really need someone to handle the money for the building. Someone you can trust. <laughs> and you're that someone, Fox? Can you make my money go farthest? Madam, when it comes to making money go far, Swindler Q is your fox. <laughs> Hey, Debbie Dwarf. Oh, what is it, Banky Frog? Have you heard? Have you? Huh? Have, you have I heard uh, what? Uh, Stop hopping uh, around uh, the lobby uh, and uh, tell uh, me uh, what, uh, Frog. It's about the pig and the fox. Boy, what a joke. I don't see anything funny about a pig and a fox. Oh, you know, Swindler Q. Fox the big crook. Oh, that stupid pig. Banky, please explain or refrain from that jumping. <laughs> okay, Shorty. I just heard that the pig is letting Swindler Q. Fox handle the money for her hotel. Oh, no. If she does that, her hotel will never be built. <laughs> I didn't think the pig was that gullible, Dippy. Well, Frankie, we've got to make the pig realize how dangerous this can be. Why, Shorty? It's her money. Besides, if she loses her money and doesn't build a hotel, you won't have any competition with your dwarf warlord. Well, I see your point, Frankie. But I do hate for the pig to be swindled. Well, all I can say is, if she's foolish enough to be taken in by a slick fox... Well, Frankie, look at it this way. Even if we forget about the pig, there's the fox. We mustn't give him an opportunity to make a crook of himself. Oh, you want to keep the jail empty, huh? You want the jailer to lose his job. You want the jailer to fall apart. Oh, along with you, Frog. I can see you won't be any help. Uh, you'll see. I'm going upstairs to Kitty's room. And down the hall to the pretty Kitty's room. Come out, come out, come out, my pretty kid, and I will serenade the moon. Come out, come out, come out, my pretty kid, and I will sing a little tune. Not meow. Hey, why not? I'm not through manicuring my claws. Oh, come on, kitty baby. I've seen you unmanicured before. Come on out. Hello, dream frog. <laughs> Hiya, kitty baby. Gee, you sure do look pretty today. And every day. What's on your mind, if any? Uh, the pig. The pig. Were you thinking about that hey, pig again? But no, Just I, because she has money. Hey, hey, Kitty, please don't misconstrue my that words. That pig, I could I, scratch every I, dollar out of her bank Kitty, account. Kitty, let me explain. Frankie Frog, don't you ever speak to me again. I'm leaving. Well, where are you going? It's over to Susie's skunks. If you so much as look like you're following me, I'll, I'll scratch your eyes out. I do hope Susie Skunk is at home. That frog, always thinking about the pig and her money. If you're working your way through Undertaker School by selling embalming fluid, I don't... Oh, hello, Kitty. Hello, Susie Skunk. May I come in? Oh, of course. Don't mind the doormat. It's of no consequence. Sue, I have been mistreated. You have? Oh, well, it doesn't show except in your eyes. They look mad. Susie, it's that wealthy Virginia ham again. Barbecue pig? Yes, she's stolen my frog's affection. You mean Frankie has her on his mind? He's always mentioning her name. Well, when you mentioned her name just now, Kitty, I thought you were going to talk about her new arrangements. What are you getting at, Sue? Oh, haven't you heard? The pig is letting Swindler Q. Fox handle the money for building her new hotel. Oh, is that so? Doesn't she know that fox can't be trusted? Evidently not. Money. Hmm. Kitty, are 
Are you thinking of some fiendish scheme? Call it what you like, Susie. The only reason Frankie likes a pig is her money. And she has lots of it. Such stacks of cash you've never seen. Well, if the fox is going to handle the money, maybe I can persuade him to run away with it. Oh, that shouldn't be hard to do. He has itchy fingers and restless feet. And then the pig wouldn't have so much money. And Frankie wouldn't like her for her money then. And he'd come hopping back to me. All mine again. And he'd take you in his green arms and sing to you. Oh, joy. Oh, ecstasy. Oh, frog. Oh, kitty. Oh, what? You're thinking of persuading the fox to do something dishonest. I never thought of it that way. And I can't let you be an accomplice to a crime. Would it really be a crime? Oh, yes. And you'll be arrested. I can see you sitting there cold, dark cell, oh. hungry and forlorn. Oh. The stone walls are down. Oh, Susie, don't say that. The mush is cold. Your fur is tangled. Oh. No brush, oh. no coat. Oh. No polish for your claws. Stop it, Susie. Oh, Stop it. Oh, it'll be terrible. Gracious, someone's at the door and at a time like this. I'm coming. <laughs> I'll buy one. Oh, hello, dumb gluck, the one Chucky. I know, sweetie Susie. Won't you come in and join us, Chucky? <laughs> I don't know whether I should come in or not. No, come on in, Woodchuck. <laughs> no, mercy me. What's going on here? Oh, it's very sad, Chucky. <laughs> I can hardly stand it. It's awful, dumb clock. Terrible. Don't do that. I can't stand to see you cry. Here, here's my hanky. Thank you, Chucky. I feel better now that you're here. I'm so glad. I'd love to be a comfort to you, Sue. I'm glad something stopped us. My tears were ruining my mascara. Yes. What was so sad, Sue? Kitty almost embarked on a life of crime. And Susie stopped me just in time. My Susie, you're so noble. You're so wonderful. Oh, Chucky, you do say the nicest things. <laughs> I can see I'm not wanted here. Goodbye, lovers. Goodbye. Bye, well, that idea is no good. But I must think of something that will keep the frog from thinking about the pig. I'll just sit here on this rock. Hi. Who's sitting on me? Oh, the turtle. Whoever you are, I wish you'd move. I'm sick and tired of being sat upon. Oh, hi, Kitty. Hello, Timothy. I'll move. Oh, you don't need to bother, Kitty. It's a pleasure to be sat upon by you. <laughs> Tim, I'm worried. Well, tell the turtle all about it and get your worries off my shell. My frog always thinks about the pig because she has so much money. But maybe the pig won't have the money very long now. Oh, then you've heard about the fox handling her money, too. Yeah, yeah. I guess Barbecue Pig has lost her interest in money. Mighty careless thing to do. I've just got to think of a way to make the frog concentrate on me and not that pig. Well, why don't you be noble and forgive him for thinking about the pig? I've tried everything else. I'll try that. I saw Frankie a few minutes ago. Where was he going? Oh, he was hopping like 60 to the Grasshopper's Junk Shop. Hey, General Grasshopper. Hi, Frankie boy. Hey, hi, you Grasshopper. You, you happen to have a good, strong money box? Money box? Let me think. 
Seems like I had blood over here behind this keg of nails. Whoops, whoops. Nail kegs aren't very dependable these days. Here, I'll help you pick them up. Careful, Frog. Their carpet tax mixed in with the nails. Oh, who's afraid of carpet tax? I'm not a carpet. Well, just to say, be careful. Yeah, 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 who's that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, help, I'm losing my balance. Whoa, look out, look Frog. Out. The tax. Oh, 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 oh. Fell right in the tax. Oh, you're telling me I fell in the tax. I think I've been attacked. Judging oh, from your back, you look like a pincushion for tax. Oh, you shouldn't have scared me, kitty baby. Here, Frog, oh. let me pull out the oh. tax. I've got a feeling I'm not gonna like this. Here we go. There. Oh. There. Oh. Oh. Hey, that's awfully slow, Grasshopper. Can't you do it faster? I know. I'll get my magnet. Just have it right here. Here it is. Frog, now you hold on to that tree over there. Yeah, I'm holding. Now I'll just bring this magnet closer. Such silly business. There you are, Frog. Clean as a whistle. Yeah, I feel ventilated, I do. Oh, Frankie, I've decided to do the big thing and forgive you for thinking about the pig. Gee, that's sweet of you, kitty baby. And you must never think about the pig again. Yeah, I won't. I'll attend to business strictly. Oh, Frankie, is, uh, is this box big enough? Say, that's just about the right size, Gerald. Shall I wrap it up for you? You know, I'll just take it as it is. Frankie, what's that? Oh, it's a metal box. Yeah, Kitty can say it's a metal money box. A money box? Why, you frog, you. Getting a metal money box so the pig can protect her money. No, 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 Kitty, baby. Of no. all the nerves. No, no, After I After you promise me to never no. again think of that pig. No. Why, you, you no, 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 no good frog. You no, take no, this. No, no, oh, 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 my punctured frog skin. I'm through oh, with you. Oh, oh. Oh, oh, but Kitty, this money box isn't for the pig. It's for Dippy Dwarf. For Dippy Dwarf? Yeah, he sent me over here to get it. Oh. Oh, Frankie. Oh. I acted before I thought. Forgive oh. me, Frog. Mm, well, I forgive you, Kitty, but try not to let it happen again. These tacks are not my idea of a picnic. Well, guess I better get my magnet to get. Hey, look who's coming. Dippy Dwarf. Oh, Grace Hepper, is Frankie here? Oh, there you are, Frog. Yeah, hiya, Dippy. Did you get the metal money box? You sure did. Uh, there it is. Oh, dandy. The pig's waiting for it. The pig? Yes. It's for barbecue pig. She needs it for safety's sake, now that the fox is handling her money. Kitty, don't look at me that way. I didn't know what Dippy wanted for this. I didn't, I didn't know he wanted it for the You'll pig. You'll never no. get me to believe no. that. Get no. out of here, you oh. worthless frog. Oh. 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 There they go, grasshopper. I suppose I'd never understand their romance. Well, Duppy, it's just like a grasshopper and his tobacco. How's that, Gerald? Sometimes a bite off board I can chew. <laughs> the path of true love never runs smooth, but we'll bet that Swindler Q. Fox will do some smooth running if he ever gets his hands on the biggest fortune down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, that's all today. We're so glad that you could stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Till next time, Barbecue Pig decides to make a few changes in her hotel plans. Till then, this is Dippy Dwarf saying so long. Remember next Saturday, listen to our animal play. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Wormwood Forest, written by Tom Titchener, has come to you from WSM in Nashville, Tennessee. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
The Jell-O program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Kenny Baker, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Calling all adventure fans, calling all Dick Tracy fans, stand by, Dick Tracy is on the air. Now the makers of nourishing, delicious Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice bring you the thrilling Dick Tracy detective adventures. There go the guns. That's the sound that means lots of delicious, nourishing breakfast for thousands of wide-awake boys and girls and grown-ups every day. That's the sound you hear when puffed wheat and puffed rice are shot from special guns in the Quaker plant to give you wheat and rice in their most digestible form. The grains are actually exploded to eight times their size. Each tiny, hard-to-digest food cell is unlocked, made specially easy to digest. And that's important, because the easier your food digests, the quicker you get the food energy you need to make you alert in thought and action like Dick Tracy. So tell Mother about that special Quaker process and ask her to get you some Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice at the grocer's. Dick Tracy, in search of a black pearl belonging to the Egyptian cult of Osiris, was given a ring containing a secret compartment by Umi Batik, a member of the cult. Batik, whom Tracy had captured, told him that if he found the black pearl, to conceal it in the ring. In our last episode, Dick received a call from Cooper of the Ballistics Bureau, who had been examining a bullet which the doctor had taken from Tracy's leg. It seems that the bullet was peculiar in more ways than one. Will Tracy find the black pearl of Osiris? And what has Cooper discovered about the bullet that makes it so interesting? Our scene, the Ballistics Bureau. Well, Cooper, what's all the excitement about? Uh, Tracy, I've been examining that bullet the doctor took from your leg. You mean the bullet that Humi Vatik fired from Dryden Small's tiny revolver? Why, has Tracy had any other bullets fired into him? No, no. Go on, Cooper. All right. Well, at first, I was chiefly interested in examining and photographing the markings on it. And then I decided to open it to examine the lead more carefully for weight and material, you know. Yes, yes, go on. That's the usual ballistic procedure. Yes, but this isn't what we usually find. I opened it, and here's what was inside. The Black Pearl of Osiris. Gosh! Then it is the Black Pearl, Tracy? Without a doubt. Well... This is the most amazing thing that's happened to me in a long time. You were carrying the black pearl around with you in that bullet and didn't know it. Yes. And now I understand why Dryden Small kept that pearl handle revolver near him at all times. Because one of the bullets contained the black pearl of Osiris. Well, there it is. Now, don't forget, you promised to let me keep the bullet for my collection. And that still goes. You can keep the bullet. All right. But I'll take the black pearl. I've got to see that this black pearl gets into the hands of the people it rightfully belongs to. You talk as if that's going to be a hard, hard job. It is, Cooper. Because there are others who also want to get this pearl. By this time, they know that Dryden Small is confined to the hospital, that the black pearl is in the hands of another person. It won't take them long to find out that I am that other person. And then I believe the fun will start. Well, what are you going to do with the thing? For the time being, until I contact the people it belongs to, I'm going to hold on to it. Watch. I take the top off this ring... And there you see a secret compartment into which I can place the black pearl. Gosh, Dick, I can't get over that ring. It's a beauty. Now then, I'll put the top on again. And there we are. 
The black pearl is now reasonably safe until I can put it into the hands of the proper person. That's a very attractive-looking ring, Tracy. I've never seen one like it before. It's more than just attractive. It's a mysterious ring given to Dick by Humi Batik. Batik claims it will bring good luck to you whenever you need it. Yes, yes. I wonder what adventures and troubles will follow in the wake of this black pearl now that I have got it. Well, what do you mean? Well, Cooper, there's a group of men who make their living stealing art treasures. And this black pearl is one of them. These men sell these treasures to wealthy but dishonest collectors. Dryden Small is one of their agents. They know by now that Small is temporarily out of the picture. Why, at this very moment, they're probably plotting just how to get it. Silence. The High Mogul will speak. Gentlemen of the society, we are met here this evening to discuss various matters the most important of which is regaining possession of the Black Pearl of Osiris. With Small in the hospital, how are we going to find the pearl? Are any of you aware of the method Small used for concealing the Black Pearl? I devised the method. Until now, it was my secret, mine and Dryden Small's. That Black Pearl, gentlemen, was molded into a special bullet and placed in a special pearl-handled revolver for safe concealment. And who has that revolver now? Dick Tracy. That means, then, we're going to have a hard time getting it. The pearl-handled revolver no longer interests us. You mean the bullet has been fired? Exactly. And the pearl has been found by the Police Ballistic Bureau. It is now in the possession of Dick Tracy. It is being carried in a special secret ring made for it, called the Ring of Osiris. A secret ring? We have two objectives now. One, the black pearl of Osiris. The other, the secret ring of Osiris. I would like to have it in my possession. And how are you going to get it, Mogul? Well, we number among us, as you know, a gentleman from Madagascar. Will you step forward, Remo? I am yours to command, Hi, Mogul. Remo? You came to us with a reputation. You are supposed to be extremely expert with the silken cord. Is that not so? I am proud of my reputation. Well, you will need all your skill and knowledge for, let me warn you, Dick Tracy is no ordinary victim. He's a man of great physical strength and great mental resources. Perhaps he will prove too powerful and clever for you. No one escapes the silken cord of death. How will you go about your work, Remo? I shall bide my time. I shall hide in the rear of Tracy's car at such time when I know he will be alone in that car. But uh, how will you know this? I, I shall climb to Tracy's window. I shall keep close check upon Tracy from there. Listen to his conversation. Find out when he is going to use the car alone. And then, hi, Mogul. I shall conceal myself in the back seat. At the right moment, I will leap upon Dick Tracy. Then we can depend on you? Have no doubt of that. I have never failed. Once the silken cord has fallen, Tracy will be no more. Well, Dick, you're a great detective. But as a crooner, my oh my. I sing, my critical friend, not because I sing well, but because I feel well. 
Yep, I'm very happy tonight. Things seem to be breaking right. A little threat like the, the death hanging over your head doesn't mean a thing, does it? By this time, Pat, you want to know that threats may not mean a thing. Where's the large bath towel? Yeah. Oh, here it is. Besides, showing that you're scared of a threat doesn't happen to be my style. Oh, I can't help wishing this black pearl business was finished. You've got the thing in that ring there, haven't you? Yep, yeah, I have. Well, Junior's eyes shine every time he talks to that ring. By the way, do you really believe this ring brings good luck to the wearer? Well, we'll soon know just how lucky it is. By the way, Dick, when is that friend of Batik's going to come for the pearl? I don't know, Pat. Well, how will you know when he does come? He'll use the secret password that Batik and I have arranged. If he doesn't know the password, well... Then you know he's one of that gang Batik warned you about? Exactly. You know, Pat... This gang that Batik has told me so much about, I'd like nothing better than to get my hands on them, round them up, finish them for good. Well, it's a trick you've done before, Dick, with Blackie Moran and the Baron. Neither Moran nor the Baron were pushovers. Well, neither is this mob. Don't make the mistake of underestimating them. Uh, is the car downstairs? Yeah. I drove it over because I got a date tonight. Hey, hold on. This is my night to use the car. Huh? You had it last night and the night before. Oh, but Dick, I got a date. Oh, sorry, old man, but so have I, with Tess. I was supposed to have the car last night. I'll let you use it instead. Nope, I'm afraid I'll have to insist on having it tonight. Well, okay, Legree. You can have the chariot. You take so few nights off, anyway. I wouldn't be the pal I want to be if I said anything. See, I promised Tess I'd take her for a drive up the shore road tonight. Perhaps we'll stop off someplace and dance. Hmm. How long has it been since you were on a dance floor, Dick? Why? <laughs> I'll bet you're rusty and out of practice. Oh, I don't know about that. Wait a minute. What was that? What was what? I thought I heard something at the window. Oh? I'll have a look. Hmm. Felt sure I heard something. Guess I was mistaken. No, Pat. You weren't. Huh? Look there. Where? That flower pot here in the fire escape has been moved. I remember putting it over on this side. Well, maybe someone else moved it. No, I don't think so. Look. The wet spot where the water soaked through. Yeah? If that pot had been moved an hour or so ago, the water would have dried up. Still wet. That pot was moved less than 15 minutes ago, Pat. Well, what does it mean, Dick? It means, Pat, that I've been spied on. You mean someone's been at this window watching us? And listening to everything we've said. It started. What started? The attempt to get the black pearl of Osiris away from me. How do you know that, Dick? Wait a minute. Hello? Oh, hello, Tess. Yes, yes, dear, I'll be right over. Yes, yes, the car's waiting downstairs. Won't take me more than 10 minutes. All right, dear. What? Yes, yes, I know I've been neglecting you, but... And it's nice of you to understand. Yeah, yeah, it's a grand night for a drive. Right. Goodbye, dear. Now, listen, Dick, be careful, will you? Anything may happen... Don't worry, Pat. It'll be all right. But I am worried about you. Well, there's the chariot waiting for you. It's all yours, Dick. Sorry, I've got to deprive you of it, Pat. Can I drop you anywhere? Uh, no, I'll walk. It's not far from Irene's house. See you tomorrow, Dick. Take care of yourself, will you? I've always managed to. Good night, Pat. Night. We know, but Tracy does not, that Remo lies concealed in the back of Tracy's car while the detective drives to Tess Trueheart's home. Will Remo succeed in his devilish scheme? Tracy is on the spot. Well, let's hope the secret ring of Osiris will really guard the pearl for Tracy. 
because he'll certainly need luck to escape this time. And now for our Dick Tracy Secret Service Patrol meeting, which the makers of tasty, nourishing Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice invite every active, alert boy and girl to attend. So stand by, because here's Dick Tracy, Jr. now. The meeting will now come to order, and today we have a special announcement for you from Dick Tracy. Yes. Dick has asked us to tell you, patrol members, that he has a big surprise for you. And he's going to tell you all about it on Friday. He won't even tell me now. Nor me. But if Dick has something up his sleeve for all the patrol members, you can be sure it's well worthwhile waiting a few days for. And that's another thing, fellas and girls. If you haven't joined the Dick Tracy Secret Service Patrol yet, do it right away, before Dick Tracy springs his big surprise. Yes, indeed. And listen, patrol members, if any of your friends haven't joined yet, tell them to join now, so they won't miss all the fun. Why don't you tell everyone how to join the patrol, Mr. Quaker Man, just in case some of the fellas and girls don't know. All right, Junior. Here's all you do, boys and girls. Just tear the tops off two packages of Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice or one of each. Then mail the two box tops with your name and address printed on a plain piece of paper to Dick Tracy, Box L, Chicago. Remember the address. It's Dick Tracy, Box L, Chicago. Right. And listen, patrol members, if I were you, I would start saving Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice box tops right now. You'll be mighty glad you did when Dick Tracy tells us what his big surprise is. As soon as one of those famous red and blue packages of Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice is empty, tear off the top and save it. Be sure it's the top panel that says, Three wrappings, God, it's Christmas. Look in the pantry today to see if there's some there now. If not... Ask Mother to get you some Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice at the grocer's. Those two tasty, trigger-fast cereals are shot from guns, you know, to give you and thousands of other wide-awake boys and girls and grown-ups two of the most delicious, nourishing breakfasts you've ever enjoyed. exciting Dick Tracy adventure tomorrow at this same time. That is all. We make people happy at Baskin Robbins. Baskin Robbins ice cream. We make people happy. Robin's ice cream. We make kids happy, grown ups happy, makes a fun party for everyone. We love it, you love it, world's best ice cream. We make people happy at Baskin Robin's. Baskin Robin's ice cream.
the Skelly Oil Company presents Captain Midnight. Captain Midnight, brought to you every day, Monday through Friday, at the same time, by the Skelly Oil Company, Skelly Jobbers and Dealers. But first, we're going to get an important message tonight from the young fellow you know as Chuck Ramsey. It's about the new 1940 flight patrol that he and Patsy Donovan have organized for Captain Midnight. So listen. All right? Are you ready, Chuck? Come on through. Come on, fellas and girls. The radio on this plane may not be so good. Ramsey said about that spinning propeller medal? Well, he's talking about that marvelous bronze medal of membership, of course, that you get free when you join the new 1940 Flight Patrol. And boy, it's a beauty. It has a three-blade spinning propeller that you can spin to settle hundreds of different questions and play all sorts of games, too. And say, will you have fun trying to figure out the mystery of what that secret password means? Now, the first five letters of the password are... C-O-B-R-A. I'll repeat them. C-O-B-R-A. Cobra. Say, do you suppose that's a clue? But now, you want to get that secret medal of membership as soon as you can. Remember, this is all you do. The next time you're out in your family car, just ask mother or dad to stop at your Skelly service station. Tell your Skelly man you want to join the 1940 flight patrol. He'll give you your junior pilot's application card right away, and he'll send right in for your spinning propeller medal of membership, the beautiful bronze medal that makes you a full-fledged member of the 1940 Flight Patrol. And remember this, it doesn't cost you a single penny. No box tops, no package seals, or anything like that. Just tell your skelly man you want to join the new 1940 Flight Patrol, and he'll do the rest. And now to Captain Midnight. You'll remember that Ivan Shark was watching Captain Midnight and Chuck through his powerful binoculars as they took off in the black two-seater with the rescued fugitive Juan Pareda. Ivan Shark ordered his chief pilot, Von Griff, to take off and follow Captain Midnight. It is now shortly before dark, and Shark is standing on the edge of his secret flying field near the burned remains of the cabin where Major Barry Steele and his agent, Bud Conley, were trapped. Attending him are his daughter, Fury, and his servant, Fang. Fury is speaking. So that explains the mystery of the disappearance of those men, Father. Yes, Master. Von Griff did not tell until... I see the whole thing very clearly now, Fury. I am not surprised that Von Griff was puzzled. I have been in this cabin many times, but I did not know there was a secret passageway beneath. That I did not know either. It is amazing that Major Steele knew about it. It was an old mine shaft. Evidently, someone believed there was gold here. Maybe there still is. They must have found out differently, my dear. Otherwise, they would have continued. If it had not been for that shaft, we would have been rid of this Barry Steele once and for all. Maybe we shall be rid of him. Pardon, Master. Do you hear something? Sounds right, Father. I hear a plane. Ah, there, to the south. It's coming very fast. It must be Von Griff. 
It could be Captain Midnight. And yet, standing out here in the open, come, Father, let us move on to the trees. Excellent suggestion, Doctor. We must not make a target of ourselves for Captain Midnight. Come, Fang. Yes, Papa. If it is, Von Quist, he will come in and land at once. Look, the plane, sliding down. Now, this is far enough. We're safe here. See, Master, the pilot comes in to land. It must be Von Quist. It is Von Quist. See? The plane is not a two-seater, but a single-seater. Do not run out yet, Yuri. You never can be sure when Captain Midnight is here. Let's see. Look at some plane. I'm gone. Look at him five-slip, Father. He's taking too much of a chance. Ah, fatal stick, my dear. The pilot is making a perfect five-slip landing into a small field. Now, wait a touch down. Ah. <laughs> An excellent landing, indeed. It is five-slip. I recognize the helmet. Ah. ah, yes, yes, I see. He's taxiing directly to this spot. I don't have my wings. Very good, thanks. Shall we go out to meet him, Father? Ah, what stupidity, my dear. You should never go out to meet your inferiors. Let them come to you. I have got news for you, Chief. Turn your ship around, Bonfire, for a quick takeoff. Then come here. Okay, Chief. Look at Von Gert's face, Father. He is disturbed about something. Ah, so I see. Well, Von Gert, have you carried out my orders? I... I had some bad luck, Chief. Ah. Now, what is this bad luck, Von Gret? Captain Midnight got away from that me. That is not bad luck. That is rank stupidity. I warn you, Von Gret. A little more of this and you will never... I could not help it, Chief. Captain Midnight flew into a deep around which had many chances. You still alibis. That is all you give me. If you will tell the truth, you will confess that Captain Midnight was just too smart oh, for you. Not hey, I will not listen. Did you follow my other command to fly across the ridge? Ah, yes, Chief. And from there I bring good news. Ah, well, what is it? Six Rossman and his men had the cabin surrounded. Ah, well, that is better. What are your orders, then? Everyone in that cabin must be captured alive. In the first place, I do not wish to be put in the position of fighting a mother and her daughter. In the second place, and more important... It is only in that way that I can lay a trap for Captain Midnight. If you capture that Donovan woman and her daughter, Captain Midnight will never leave until he has rescued them. Or is dead. I see you know Captain Midnight very well, my dear Fury. Now, Von Grip, listen closely. You will get four 25-pound bombs from headquarters. One of them a dud with the firing pin removed and filled with sand. Drop this dud as close to the cabin as possible first. This should serve as a warning to those in the cabin. Perhaps they will rush out and into the hands of Rossman. Then, drop the other bombs one by one and destroy the cabin. In that way, we will achieve our purpose and give Captain Midnight something more to think about. <laughs> and I will be watching you from the top of the ridge, Von Whip. Mind you, no more mistakes. Now go. Ivan Shark's orders are being given. Captain Midnight and Chuck leave the rescued fugitive, Juan Pareda, asleep and follow a narrow mountain trail down to the cabin where they left Ma and Patsy Donovan guarded by Pinky and Slim. Chuck and Captain Midnight finally make off the shack through the gloom. As they're about to rush forward, they suddenly notice that the door is wide open. They halt in amazed silence as Captain Midnight whispers warningly, 
No, Chuck, no. Don't go in. We can't afford to make a single wrong move. There. There it is again. Quick, Chuck. Back around the corner here. I wonder what... Well, it's just an owl, Chuck. There's nothing to worry about there. Yes, but what's happened to Ma and Patsy? Oh, gee, this is terrible. I don't know, Chuck. But we're going to find out. That owl red. There's something strange about it. I just don't know what it is. What are you talking about? That owl red. I can't get the idea out of my head that I've heard it before. You've probably heard lots of owls before, Chuck. Come on now. We've got to work and we've got to work fast. Okay, Red. You lead the way and I'll follow. But I still Now listen carefully, Chuck. We're in a tough spot. We can't make one false move. If our friends aren't in that cabin, and I don't think they are, they must have been driven out. Or captured. Should one of us go through the door? Oh, Chuck, no. That would be suicide. If Ma and Patsy, Pinky and Slim, have been captured, it's a dead certainty some of Shark's men are hiding inside in the darkness, waiting for us to come in. So now flatten yourself against this wall... And let's move forward. Okay, go ahead. Keep as close to me as you can. Whatever you do, watch the woods around us. I'm right with you. All right, I'm starting. Keep as quiet as you can now. Something's happened to that end of the shack. Come on. I'm going to creep forward a bit. Okay, lead on. Look, Chuck. Look at this. This end of the cabin, what? It's all torn apart. This whole end is shattered. Well, you can look right inside. What could have happened? Just a second. I want to examine this ground. Can you find out anything? Grab hold of yourself, Chuck. I've got bad news. Go ahead, Red. This whole end of the shack has been blown up. I can tell by the lips of the ground. Gosh, Red, that means... Now, wait a minute, Chuck. Don't jump at conclusions. Follow me. We're going inside. I'm right behind you. All right. This is far enough. I'm afraid we're going to find something we don't want to find. Here. Kneel beside me against the wall here. Okay. I'm going to take a chance and light a match. As soon as I get it lit, you take a quick look around. All right. Go ahead. Do you see anything? Quick, Red. Blow it out. Any bad news? No, Red. I was just afraid that somebody would see the light. Nothing in here? Not a thing. Well, at least no one was killed in that explosion. Something worse could have happened to them. Meaning they're in shark's hands, eh? Yeah. I told you before, Chuck. Don't take anything for granted. What do you think could have happened here? I don't know. From the looks of things, an aerial bomb must have exploded at this end of the shack. It just doesn't seem possible. Well, that a bomb could be exploded right here without hurting someone. Come on, Chuck. We can't find out anything more here. I don't know whether we can find anything out anywhere. I guess we just never should have left Ma and Pat. That's water under the bridge now, Chuck. We did the best we could under the circumstances. Come on. Let's go outside again. Well, what next? Now, look. You see that tree just ahead of us there? Yeah, I see it. Well, it has low branches. We'll be fairly safe from observation. Okay. Go ahead. I'll be right behind. All right. Now then, here we are. Now, from an examination of that shack, I don't believe anyone was killed. Therefore, I believe they left the cabin of their own accord. That seems logical. The next question is, were they captured after they got out? That's the whole thing in a nutshell. If they were captured, the chances are they aren't around here anywhere. If they weren't captured, they may be somewhere fairly close. How are we going to find out? It's going to be difficult to find out anything while it remains so dark. But gosh, Red, it's only the middle of the night now. We can't wait until daybreak. We may have to, Chuck. However, in the meantime, there's one thing we can do. What's that? We can circle slowly and quietly around the cabin, hoping to pick up their trail. But listen, we'll have to be very careful. All right, let's get... What are you looking at? That way, Red. Up the side of the hill. Now, what was it? I thought I saw something moving. Let's keep quiet then and watch there, Chuck, there. See? It is something. Oh, now I've lost it. So have I. Gosh, Red, what do we do? Quick, Chuck. Down on your hands and knees and follow me. Oh. 
Again, the sinister Ivan Shark has contrived a diabolical scheme to strike at Captain Midnight. And while this tense struggle between Captain Midnight and Ivan Shark continues, what about Major Barry Steele and Bud Conley in the Spartan? Have they reached the border safely? Don't miss the next adventure when screaming terror from the skies plunges down at the lonely cabin across the ridge. Tune in tomorrow to Captain Midnight. And now, a word to every red-blooded young fellow and girl who loves adventure. Do you have your official junior pilot's application card for Captain Midnight's exciting new 1940 flight patrol? Have you told your skelly man to send in for your beautiful bronze spinning propeller medal of membership and put your name on the list to receive all the amazing free gifts and prizes that are coming for every member? Well, if not, maybe you can stop by your skelly service station with mother or dad tonight. Tell your skelly man you want to join the new 1940 flight patrol and get your very own official medal of membership with the three-blade spinning propeller. He'll be happy to help you join, and it won't cost you a single penny. So why not have the family car stop at your skelly service station so you can join up tonight? Now, don't forget to tune in again tomorrow, same time, same station, for further transcribed adventures of Captain Midnight, brought to you by the Skelly Oil Company, Skelly Jobbers and Dealers. What has Captain Midnight seen, dimly visible in the gloom of the night? And what has happened to Ma and Patsy and Pinky and Slim? Be sure to listen tomorrow. Until then, this is Don Gordon, your Skelly Man, saying goodbye and happy landing! you boys and girls, hurry to become good luck mascots for a real army pilot. Yep, we invite this whole gang shebang to be mascots for a fighting and flying pilot of a North American D-25 bomber. A real bomber, mind you, not any make-believe. As mascot, you get to have your name and good luck message go to war with the daring pilot of a B-25 as he flies to blast the Jackson Nazis. Oh boy, think of your name right there in the crew compartment when your battlebird drops his bombs. That makes you his good luck mascot. Wee! What a thrill for you. We make this wonderful offer to help sell more war stamps. And that means more bombs for Uncle Sam's brave air fighters. And so the world will know that you are an Army pilot's good luck mascot. You can also get these two important gifts. First, a big, beautiful color picture of the North American B-25 bomber high in the clouds flying full clip over dangerous mountain country. This breathtaking picture has your personal shield of honor certifying that your name and good luck message have gone to war in a B-25. And we also send you a handsome button, a big bonanza to wear on your coat lapel, proudly showing that you are a pilot's good luck mascot. The button goes to boys and girls alike. And it sure is easy to get in on this exciting offer. Even a first grader can join up. This remarkable offer, the first and only one of its kind, is made to help the sale of war stamps and also to get you acquainted with Quaker puffed rice sparkies and Quaker puffed wheat sparkies, those delicious, nutritious breakfast cereals shot from guns. Yes, shot from guns, bursting forth as gigantic grains of goodness, tasting super scrumptious. Now, it's easy as falling off a log to become a pilot's good luck mascot and also get your two swell elegant gifts. So listen for sure at the end of this program. Now for the good news you're all waiting for. First, here's what you do to become an Army pilot's good luck mascot. 
Just write this sentence on a piece of paper. I promise to buy a new war-saving stamp within a week and sign your name and address to it. In exchange for this patriotic promise, the Army Air Forces permit us to have your name as you sign it on the piece of paper enrolled on a microfilm scroll and given to the pilot of a North American B-25 bomber with this message. Good luck and drop one on the Japs and Nazis for me. That makes you an Army pilot's good luck mascot and is your reward for promising to buy a war stamp. Second, to show the world you're an Army pilot's good luck mascot, you'll want us to send you this big, beautiful color photo of the B-25 bomber and your pilot's mascot button. Now, down in one corner of this gorgeous picture is your personal shield of honor showing your name and good luck message are riding with the pilot of a B-25 bomber. And in the same package, we send your handsome pilot's mascot button to proudly wear. Now, to get your picture and button, simply enclose two box tops from Quaker Pup Wheat Sparkies or Quaker Pup Rice Sparkies. That's all, just two box tops. But don't wait. Mail today your signed promise to buy a war stamp and thus become a pilot's mascot. And for your bomber picture and mascot button, be sure to enclose two box tops from Quaker Pup Wheat or Rice Sparkies. Mail your letter to Terry and the Pirates, Box Q, Chicago. upon the underworld to smash gangland, the friend of the unfortunate, enemy of criminals, a mysterious, all-powerful character, a problem to the police, but a crusade of the law. In reality, Dan Garrett, a rookie patrolman, loved by everyone but suspected by none of being the Blue Beetle. As the Blue Beetle, he hides behind a strange mask and a suit of impenetrable blue chain armor, flexible as silk, but stronger than steel. Today's episode of the Blue Beetle is entitled, Death Strikes from the East. In the city's Chinatown, sons of the Orient are restless, uneasy. The police department expects war between rival tongues to break out at any moment, and is prepared. What is behind this uneasiness? Is it something that concerns only the Chinese? Or is there an occidental hand at work pulling the strings like a phantom puppeteer? As our story opens, patrolman Dan Garrett, who in secret is the Blue Beetle, discusses the situation with his friend and confidant, Dr. Franz, in his little apothecary shop. You know, Doc, leaning here on this counter, it's hard to realize that you and I are only a few city blocks away from the Orient. You're referring to Chinatown? Yeah. I wish I knew what was going on down there. Do you think rival tongues are about to war on each other? No, nope, I don't. Then what do you think is causing this unrest the newspapers speak of? Fear and resentment. Resentment? Of whom? Of us. You mean the police? No. The white race. But what have we done to them? We don't molest them. Well, it isn't that. I think there's some sort of a racket going on down there. Are you going to do anything about it? Well, I'm going to ask the chief to assign me to a beat in Chinatown. Uh, you'd better be careful, Danny. You could disappear down there and no one would ever find you. Oh, I'll be careful, all right. I've got a friend down there. A Chinese? Yeah. Restaurant keeper, Ling Wan. Cultured gentleman. I saved his life once and he's never forgotten. I'd imagine he could be very helpful. Well, I've got to run down to headquarters now. 
Maybe Mannigan and I can both get assigned to that district. Well, good luck to you, Danny boy. Thanks, Doc. So long. Patrolman Dan Garrett is headed for the Orient. Johnny, it's a wonder to me there ain't more big fires down here in Chinatown. Why, Mike? Well, everything's all congested. How's the fire engine ever going to get through here? Well, I'd be willing to bet that if I should sound the siren on this car, we'd have a clear track ahead almost immediately. Yeah, them babies can certainly scatter in a hurry. <laughs> hey, what's that now? That bug smashing up that Chinese restaurant. Come on, Mannigan. That looks like Lin Warren's place. Okay. Growing suspicion 
that that purple dragon is not of our race, but of yours. What? A white man? I am sorry to say it, my friend, but it is so. Well, Dan Garrett is going to do something about that, and he's starting right now. I've sworn to uphold the law, to serve justice, to drive every crooked racketeer from this city. This extortion racket must be smashed. method of extracting money from honest businessmen. And you say Ling Wan believes the purple dragon to be a white man? That's right. He must be a very rich man. Yes, I imagine there are very few who refuse to pay tribute or to purchase their supplies through that crook. Well, so far as you know, the purple dragon has confined his extortion activities to Chinese merchants. Yes. I feel certain that if his operations extended beyond the confines of Chinatown, the police would have heard of it. I wonder what the extra's about. Well, just a minute, Doc. I'll buy a paper. Yes, you read all about it. Commissioner Warren's dead, a kidnap. Here you are, boy. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, you read all about Well, what do you know about this, Doc? Well, what is it, Danny? Commissioner Warren's daughter was kidnapped last night as she left a dance at the casino. Commissioner Warren? Yes, the commissioner of markets. Oh, I wonder what's back of that. The kidnappers can't expect to get much money out of Warren. He's not wealthy. No, and he's one of our most efficient officials. Say, you don't think. Well, what is it, Danny? I'm going over to Commissioner Warren's house and make a little investigation. Hey, hey, what's that? There's someone just threw a stone through the store window. Oh, here it is. There's a note tied to it. Well, what does it say, Danny? It says, devastating tornado descend upon honorable place of business. If inquisitive patrolman Garrett extends nose into Chinatown, and it's signed the Purple Dragon. Uh, let me see that note. Yeah. It's apparently written with a brush, such as Chinese use. Yes, yes. But, uh, but it wasn't written by a Chinese. What do you mean? The Chinese writing is distinctive. The technique of Chinese brush writing is such that even if the Chinese were writing in English, the brush marks would be distinctively Chinese. Uh, this note was written by a man who at one time might have lettered addresses on shipping cases. Uh, a shipping clerk, I would say. Well, that's very interesting, Doc. Uh, the purple dragon, or whoever writes his notes for him, is a white man. Well, Doc, this note spikes my guns. I can't endanger you and your business. Oh, don't be silly, Daddy. Don't be silly. Your duty comes first. I can take care of things here. And just let somebody start something. There are things in my laboratory back there that will make them wish they'd stayed away. Well, I've got to be going, Doc. Take care now and don't worry. I'm not going to Chinatown. My next call is in the opposite direction. Commissioner Warren, I... I've been assigned by the police commissioner to do a little investigating in this case. Yes, I'm glad you have my boy. I'd appreciate any information you could give me, Commissioner. I'll give you what I can. Have you... Have you any enemies? Yes, plenty of them. In my position, there are bound to be individuals and groups who resent my interference with their attempts to extort money from the firms that do business with the city. Oh, 
There is an extortion racket. Well, yes. At least I am convinced that many merchants are paying out money to protect their goods and places of business from destruction. In, uh, in Chinatown, for instance? Well, yes. How did you know? I have a friend in Chinatown. Mm. I see. Well, to be frank with you, I've been conducting a quiet investigation down there. You think your daughter's kidnapping is in retaliation? I'm certain it is. Why? This note. I received it about an hour ago. Here, read it. Mm. The Tibetan earth goddess is angry. You are interfering with her plans. Unless you cease your efforts, you will never see your daughter again. Signed, the Purple Dragon. Hmm. This note was written by a white man also. I beg pardon, what did you say? Hmm? Oh, I, uh, I said this note was written... Excuse me. Messenger leave package for honorable commissioner. Uh, thanks, Ling Chow. Who was it? Ling Chow, no see. Messenger, push button, leave package and doorstep, then away. All right, Ling Chow, you may go. Uh, better not open that, commissioner. Hmm? Might be a time bomb or some type of infernal machine that'll explode when open. It doesn't feel heavy enough. Any sound of ticking? Mm, not that I can hear. Yeah, let me have that package. I'll open it. You stand over there. Now be careful, Garrett. Boss can't afford to lose men like you, you know. Thanks, Commissioner. Well, here goes. Hmm. What is it? A box full of golden hair. My daughter. Her hair is that color. You don't think that... Oh, no, she's not dead yet, but something will have to be done quickly, and I'm going to do it. What are you going to do, Dan? I've got a hunch, and I'm going to play it. What can I do to help? Call up the Income Tax Bureau and find out if you can which two or three persons in the city showed the greatest increase of income last year. Also, find out anything else you can about them. When you get the information, phone it to Dr. Fran or to me at his shop. I'm certain that none of these persons will prove to be the Purple Dragon. activities draw down upon his good friend, Dr. Franz, the wrath of the purple dragon? What will happen when the blue beetle faces the purple dragon? Meanwhile, in a room adjoining the auditorium of a little Chinese theater, deep within the confines of Chinatown, a group of hard-faced men are receiving instructions from their chief. I want you men to get this straight. There must be no slip-up. At 11.30 tonight, you have Commissioner Warren in this theater, or else. I don't care how you get him here, but get him. Sure, boys, we'll get him. We're bringing him in the back way. Put him in one of the boxes to the left of the stage. Is that clear? Yeah. You two men stay with him. Tell him if he makes a move to escape, he'll never see his daughter alive again. You got that straight? Yeah, we got that straight. Well, and you leave the rest of a purple dragon. Dr. Fern's laboratory, Dan Garrett is donning the mask and blue chain armor of the Blue Beetle. Oh, uh, Danny, Commissioner Warren called just before you arrived. Oh, what did the commissioner have to say? Uh, he said the two most financially successful men last year 
were Roger Gillespie, the contractor, and a fellow by the name of Anthony Rondos. Gillespie seems to have made a fortune during the building boom last year, and Rondos apparently made a great success of the importing business. Mm. Rondos is our man, I'm sure of it. Where does he live? Did Warren say? Yes. He recently bought the home. Mm. I know that place. Yes, Danny, I know. I remember you visited the house secretly one night while you were making an investigation of Banker Ridley's strange death on the operating table. That's the place. Well, that'll be the Beat Blue Beetle's first call tonight. So long, Doc. Coming. You always seem 
Duckland? Yes, yes, I am, Dr. Friend. Uh, what can I do for you? <laughs> Only, how do I look in this Chinese costume? Well, can <laughs> Bless my soul. <laughs> you know, you know, for a minute, I, I thought Confucius himself had entered my shop. <laughs> and my disguise was gone. Oh, it's excellent, Danny, excellent. Uh, but why is the Blue Beetle dressed as a Chinese coolie? Well, the Blue Beetle is attending a theater party in the old Chinese theater tonight as an uninvited guest. And I think that when the party is over, the purple dragon and his extortion racket will be a thing of the past. Anything I can do to help? Yes. I uh, saw among your collection of curios a ugly Chinese warrior's mask. I'd like to borrow it for the night. Well, certainly, Danny, certainly. I, I'll get it for you. It, it's in this chest right over here. I'm going to throw a scare into some real as well as fake Chinese tonight. Hey, what an ugly mask. Here, let me put it on. There we are. Oh, how do I look? Oh, terrifying. That's good. Well, the stage is set and the audience is waiting. Good night, Doc. The Blue Beetle is playing a new role tonight. <laughs> Chinese merchants await the performance they have been ordered to attend. In a box at the left of the stage sits a man, apparently the only Occidental present. Beside him sit two grim-looking individuals in Chinese costumes. A strange power seems to hold the audience hypnotized as the curtain begins to ascend and reveals a large altar in the center of the stage, surrounded by lighted candles. On the altar is stretched the bound figure of a white girl, shorn of her hair and clad in a white silk kimono, embroidered with a large purple dragon. Before the altar stands a gigantic Chinese, his head covered with a golden helmet and his face hidden behind a cruel, hideous mask. His upraised hands clutch a two-edged sword Back of him, a group a dozen tense, muffled Chinese, likewise masked. Suddenly, my key Tibetan goddess angry, the white infidel has defied her will. So Tibetan goddess must be appeased. Human sacrifice must be made upon the altar. No, no, that's my daughter. I am. The Hitherton, goddess, speak again. Of I say, death to white maiden. No, no, I'll do anything. What is it you demand? White infidel interfere with priest of Hitherton of goddess. He encouraged Chinese merchants to withhold tribute. I, priest of a dragon, demand you resign from high office. No, I won't resign. This is a racket. You're your of compulsive fingers! Oh! 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 Oh!
Yes, the Blue Beetle. Reincarnation of the Oriental God of Final Judgment. There's a Blue Beetle, that crazy Chinese mask up here. Oh, no, he's a fake. The real Blue Beetle is in the vault of my home. When Chow put him there. Oh, Father in person. He calls for sacrifice. Oh, oh, Father. I give you your... Up that quarter, I'll blast you with my magic ray. The robe of all goddess is in ruling. He cannot be touched. Ruling gives all goddess for sacrifice. Get over you. You are like it. Oh, it's empty. Clinton. One bag on all of you. Real Chinese, big Chinese. I can handle you all. This is for you, Monty. There goes that man, Triple Dragon. And here you go. And here comes the police. Pick up the pieces. Hey, come on, let's get out of here. The cops are... No, oh, you don't. There'll be room for you in the wagon. Look out, Blue Beetle, that Chinese, the sword. That will take care of you. <laughs> These Chinese devils are soft. Thanks, Commissioner, for the warning. Hey, you merchants of the audience. Here's your chance to clean up your own wagon. Go to it, Spiner. Clean out the rats that have been infesting your system. No more than the purple dragon takes the sword of human sacrifice over your head. He has been unmasked by the Blue Beetle. The Blue Beetle's work is done. And so the Blue Beetle smashed another racket and regained for his fellow citizens the admiration and respect of a grateful people. Later that night, the Troman Dan Garrett, no longer in the costume of the Blue Beetle, sits in Dr. Franz's laboratory discussing the case with Dr. Franz. Well, Danny, uh, what gave you your first clue? The package of hair the commissioner received. Mm -hmm. And to think that such things can be. Why didn't some of those Chinese merchants report this racket to the police? Fear of vengeance. You know, Doc, fear is the greatest enemy of mankind. Back of every hatred, every failure... Every broken human relationship. Ah, that's very true, Danny. Well, Doc, run along now. Got to get some sleep sometime. Ah, that's true. Patrolman Dan Garrett has to rest if the Blue Beetle wants to fly. <laughs> Good night, Doc. I'll drop in tomorrow and see how you're coming along with that new portable television set you're building. Dr. Franz is working on a portable television set. Will it be successful? How can the Blue Beetle use it to run down criminals? What will be the Blue Beetle's next case? These questions will be answered in the next episode of The Blue Beetle. Fox feature appearing in Mystery Men Comics magazine on sale at your newsstand. The Blue Beetle is on the air twice a week on this same station. Consult the broadcast schedule in your local newspapers and don't forget to listen in. Uh-huh.
Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to listen to our other programs on the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Have a good day.